we are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Tonight we are previewing two races at Richmond Raceway, including the Xfinity and the Cup Series racing on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but in our first half hour, we are going to get into some short track racing news. The SRL is racing the winter showdown this weekend. So we'll talk uh, quite a bit about that and maybe a couple of other uh, news tidbits. At uh, 845, we'll get into the Arkham Menard series updates and what's going on in that series. And at 9 o'clock is a guest. Parker Retzlaff from RSS Racing is joining us, and we'll talk to him about uh, his uh, results at Phoenix as well as uh, what's upcoming for him at Richmond Raceway. At 9.15, we will uh, give a few updates about the NASCAR Truck Series, and at 9.30, we will start with the Xfinity Series and then go to the Cup Series Preview at Richmond Raceway. 10 o'clock is our Hot Topic Sound Off segment with our Fan for Racing crew. And joining me for tonight is one of our Fan for Racing crew and our co-host for tonight, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Yet another, another wonderful Thursday night as we get to preview a race weekend ahead for both NASCAR and now short tracks uh, around the world, around the country as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, one of the big races that are happening this weekend is out in the West at Kern County Raceway. It's the seventh annual Winter Showdown 100. And uh, I'll tell you what, we've been following this since the inaugural Winter Showdown. So it's kind of cool to see that they're, they've already hit seven years now of doing this. And uh, uh, there's a lot going on. It will take place on uh, April the 2nd, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, it will take place April the 2nd at Kern County Raceway, and I'm sure we'll get into more of the details as we uh, continue here. But uh, this is a big event. People from all over the country are coming to race here. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, we talk about how big it has grown already on to the seventh annual. Um, looking through, we talk about Bubba Pollard uh, with Torius in the first or showed he's around. So you mentioned this. Uh, we see other drivers come to the Snowball Derby. This here is a case of these East drivers going to the West. So I think that's a great thing that we see as events like this take place all around the U.S., uh, you know, special to their area, but have become such a big thing that we're seeing some of these teams uh, want to travel out there to uh, participate. Yes, indeed. Uh, Kern County Raceway Park, April the 2nd, the Spears SRL Southwest Tour Touring Series with super late models will compete for a $10,000 payday. Also, the Pro Late Model Series presented by Sigma Performance Services will contend for $3,500 winner's share, plus an additional bonus of $1,500 for anyone who participates in the last event, at, who per, also participated in their last event at All-American Speedway. 
So uh, big thanks to Sigma Performance Services for their contribution. And the Spears Modifieds will fight it out for $2,000 in the winter showdown, Spears Modified Series 60. So uh, three big races this weekend at current. Well, and that's what you get when you, when you talk about especially events like this. You also have other classes talking about the super late models and the pro late models, but then you also got these modifieds called different things in different parts of the country, the modified mayhem here in the Southeast, but to see those guys also get their, their chance on a stage again, highlights them as well during this weekend um, on the same card. Yep. Some of the former uh, winners, Bubba Pollard was victorious in the first two winner showdowns in 2015 and 16 Derek Thorne took home the win in 17 with NASCAR Cup Series star Kyle Busch victorious in 2018. Then it was Ty Majeski who won a shortened event in 2019 when the power was knocked out at the track due to lightning. And then COVID-19 shut down the race in 2020. So Derek Thorne was able to fend off Preston Peltier to gain his second victory in 2021, and there will be a first-time winner in this year's Winter Showdown. Just hearing that list right there, you mentioned those drivers we know as top drivers throughout the country now, uh, some of them up at a high level with Ty Majeski in the Truck Series, now Kyle Busch obviously at the Cup Series level. So you mentioned that new, new winner as none of them are entered, who that first-time winner is, how big their name becomes then later on down the road. Absolutely. Uh, in addition to the $10,000 payout to the winner, it will also pay a minimum of 550 just to start, and then $1,200 for, 12, for drivers on the Spears Frequent Program. So that's kind of cool. Uh, there are 20 super light models that are currently entered, representing six states. Uh, Jim Wolferstein will make his first 2022 series start, with Jordan Riddick making the longest tow from New Albany, Indiana. Six former Spears Southwest Tour winners are entered, and three former champions. Well, there you, there you hit on it. Uh, Indiana right now being the longest tow. I think as we get a little closer and see maybe a couple more entries, we might see a couple more than that. We'll have to wait and see what the final entry list, uh, starting list, uh, comes out to be. Um, but that tells you if they're willing to haul from Indiana, uh, what kind of event this is. Exactly. In the super late models, Jeremy Doss leads the championship standings. Uh, he's followed by Jacob Bones, who we had on our radio show uh, here. Uh, Jace Hansen, Kale Kenty, Trevor Huddleston, Dan Holt, John Moore, Andy Allen, Cole Raz, Zach Telford, Justin Ish, and Scott Justin, I'm sorry, rounds out the top Baker's dozen. All are entered this weekend except for Raz. And there you saw it. We've already seen whether they've been on our show or not that, that some of these drivers, Trevor Huddleston, we know from the ARCA West series, uh, Zach Telford, I know I've seen his uh, name before, uh, even here in the Midwest to the East, that these names are becoming more and more popular 
uh, throughout the country as with the streaming platforms and, and media coverage we get nowadays, which I think is a huge help to these drivers that are trying to work their way up. Uh, I think it's a little bit easier on them even in the past five years than it had been before for these drivers to get this kind of attention and get noticed. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the drivers making a name for himself in the Arkham Menard series is also racing the prolate models in the SRL. That includes Tyler Rice, and he's leading this year's prolate model series uh, presented by Sigma Performance Services into round three of their season schedule. Rice has a 17-point lead over the 21 uh, KCRP winner Seth Weiss, former Madera Speedway short track shootout winner. Logan Zampa sits another 13 points back. Two series stars, Travis McCullough sits fourth with Irwindale Speedway's Arkham Menards Pro Series West winner Tanner Rice in fifth. Uh, 2021 and 22 Kilwicky Driver Development Program, Dylan Zampa is uh, coming up a win at All-American Speedway. He sits sixth. 66 points behind Tyler Rice. Christian Bazin, Frankie Munoz, uh, that's an actor uh, that a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, Kyle Gatchula and Mike Beeler round out the top 10 there. Again, a couple of standouts there. You mentioned uh, Zampa, and he's highlighted as part of the 2021 and 22 uh, Kawiki Driver Development Program. Uh, again, programs like that that you mentioned earlier, some of the, the tie-ins that they have um, with that. Another program that has been developed, not even necessarily a track or a particular race, but programs that highlight some of these drivers to help get them attention, get them some rides, whether it be up to the ARCA East and West Series Arkham Menard series or all the way up to one of the NASCAR's top three touring series. And I go back to when we see some of these events where, you know, we've had this as a hot topic discussion. Kyle Busch mentioned him as a former winner. When drivers like that come down and race in the, these events, they notice these other drivers and they start spreading the word of, of them. Hey, I watched this guy race. You know, we might want to check him out, whether it be Toyota, Ford or Chevy that then take notice of them and bring them along. So there, again, is a benefit yes. to having a, a top stars visit some of these races because they come back and say, hey, this guy, you know, I ran wheel to wheel with this guy. Keep an eye on him. Yep. We've got a lot more to cover here, too. Um, in the Modifieds, uh, after the season opening, Havasaw 95 Speedway, Jaron Gianni continues to lead both the Rookie of the Year standings as well as the championship standings. The bull ring at Las Vegas, multi-time champion Sam Jackson second. The rundown followed by Indio, California driver Jimmy Sloan and rookie of the year candidate Kyle Jackson, multi-time KCRP champion Chris Dalton, William Guevara, and Stephen Brucker, Jeff Longman, Ray Rose, and Travis Kettle round out the top 10 after three events in that series. And you go down to the championship leader. We got the 2018 series champion, Jeremy Doss, uh, enters this winter showdown with a narrow three-point lead over the 2015 champion, Jacob Gomes. Uh, Doss has participated in five previous showdown events, but has only one top 10 with a third in 2016. 
Uh, Doss hopes his showdown luck turns around in 2022, and he can add his name to the list of winners. Yes, indeed. Uh, championship runner-up, Jacob parlayed a $10,000 win at All-American Speedway into a rise to second in the point standings, and that win was his first since 2018, 30 events ago. He's also looking in a 23-race winless streak at Kern County Raceway. Gomes almost into that streak in 2021, finishing runner-up to Derek Thorne in June. Gomes now has confidence to get his winter showdown victory, so we'll see if that happens this weekend. Well, let me talk about Champions Uniting. We got the 2021 All-American Speedway champion and NASCAR State of California champion, John Moore. He's united with six-time SRL Series champion, Derek Thorne. We mentioned he's not running, but Campbell Motorsports, they're going to compete this weekend at Kern County Raceway. The union is planned for the remainder of the season with Moore looking to approve upon his best series championship effort of fifth. He's the 2015 Pacific Challenge Series Super Late Model Champion and excited to compete with Thorne. The crew chief will be Mike Keane and Brian Campbell. Okay. I just got a message here from our guest. I was just responding to him. Um, I'm not sure where you left off now. Oh, Brian Camp, Byron Camera, Campbell. <laughs> okay. Championship aspirations. You've got Jace Hansen is making his ninth trip to Churn County Park, Raceway Park, where he had his best career SLR finish of second. But beyond the 2020 October Classic run, his fortunes have not been bright, showing only one other top ten while failing to qualify for the 17-winner showdown. Hansen enters round three, this season third in the championship standings. He's 14 points out of the lead and uh, feels that he has the uh, preparation uh, is going to be the key to the tricky half-mile track. Another and championship, another hopefully, got... Yeah. Okay, championship, right. uh, hopefully, you mentioned there. Dustin Ash and the Sigma Performance Services, as they came into the 2022 season, one of the teams to keep an eye on for the series championship. Uh, fortunately, a brake caliper failure at the halftime break of the All-Star Showdown and 29th place finish put a damper on those aspirations. But Ash rebounded to qualify fourth at Roseville and then spun while battling Jeremy Doss for second. He's recovered to finish eighth, but now enters the winter showdown 11th in the standings. His hopes of a win will get the team back in that championship hunt and create some momentum as they head to Irwindale Speedway. Okay, and Buddy Shepard is also looking for a rebound this weekend. He's had a rough start to the season with a couple of uh, consecutive DNFs after an alternator break, uh, belt and brake issues ended his races early at Irwindale and All-American. So, uh, uncharacteristically, he is 12th in the standings after challenging for the championship and the rookie of the year last year. Uh, he did win, however, the Bobby Direct Fast Time Award at the Winter Showdown in 2018 and followed that up with a runner-up finish, sending off NASCAR star Daniel Hemrick, finishing behind Kyle Busch. He swept the 2016 season in the track's late model division, and he's also come home in three additional spheres 
uh, touring events all to Derek Thorne. He expects to rebound at his home track and hoping to add his name to the list of winner showdown winners. So uh, Buddy uh, Shepard definitely one to watch. Now the gates are going to open at 4 p.m., qualifying at 4.15. Pro Late Model Series uh, and Manufacturing Modified Series in the Spurs Southwest Tour opening ceremonies. There will be a truck parade rolling off at 5.30. Qualifying heat races start at 6, beginning with the modified, followed by pro lates and super late models. The 60-lap feature events for the modified pro late models will be followed by 100 laps for the super late models. So if you're anywhere near Kern County Raceway out in Bakersfield, California, that's where you want to be on uh, April the 2nd. And fans can watch all of the racing action, Spears Racing TV. Uh, it's SpearsRacing.tv if you want to watch that race. So uh, uh, it'll also air on Mav TV at a date and time that will be announced later. But you can actually watch the live action there on Spears TV. Okay, can't wait to find out how that comes out. But so I'm sorry, okay. say that again. I said I can't wait to find out how that race ends up. <laughs> Who wins? Oh, most certainly, most certainly. Okay. Um, also, there is going to be. Well, let's wait on that. Let's go to the Arkham Menard series. Uh, the Arkham Menard series is not racing this weekend. Uh, so if you've got a pencil handy and you want to know when the next racers are taking place, that's what we're going to cover next. Uh, the Arkham Menard Series and, uh, uh, is racing next on April the 23rd at noon Central Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern at Talladega Super Speedway. And uh, that's the General Tire 200. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1. On the same day, Jay, uh, the ARCA West is racing at Kern County, the one, the Kern County 150, at 7 p.m. Pacific. That's 10 p.m. Eastern, again at Kern County Raceway Park. So Tyler Rice, who's racing that in that SRL race uh, in the prolate models, he's going to uh, get a chance to preview that track before this race in the ARCA West on April the 23rd. That's going to be on Flow Racing. And that's one of those things, you know, any kind of track time, any kind of car gives you that little bit of edge. We'll see if that pays off for him uh, April 23rd when the West Series comes to town. Absolutely. The Dover 125 for the ARCA East will take place on April the 29th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern at Dover Motor Speedway. That race will also be uh, televised, or actually it's live streaming on Flow Racing. And then June 11th will be the next Sioux Chief Showdown event, the Iowa 150 at Iowa Speedway, and that one will be televised on Mass TV Motorsports Network. Yeah, I know we got a little bit of time for that next Sioux Chief Showdown, but uh, those races are worth the wait there. That one be taking place at Iowa Speedway, as you mentioned. Um, really going to change some things up, as I believe that'll be the second. Uh, is that the second or the third of the Sioux Chief Showdown? 
I'm sorry. Understanding. That's the second, I believe. Okay, the second of the Sioux Chief Showdown. So we'll get a feel for that. Ten race deal, a championship within the championship. A lot of drivers only there for that Sioux Chief Showdown. Okay. Yes. Okay, so um, those are going to be big events that are taking place. One of the things I noticed over there, too, at DarkerRacing.com, they've got a great article uh, about Roger Carruth. And actually, he's scheduled to be on our show, an upcoming show here at BamfaRacing.radio. Uh, and let me look at my schedule here. April 14th, Roger Carruth will be our guest. So uh, if you follow him, you'll want to tune in to our Fanforation radio show that night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you don't follow him, you want to. That's one that the, the name has already <laughs> been made, and we're seeing that rise continue, uh, as you mentioned, making his NASCAR Xfinity Series debut here at Richmond this weekend. Yes, yes, he is going to be racing at Richmond and uh, a lot of eyes will be on him. He's coming from Rev Racing, uh, where he raced in the Arca Menard Series last year and the Arca East last year and uh, really had some good performances. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, uh, seeing what he does out at Richmond this weekend. There's a few takeaways from last week's West Race at Irwindale Speedway as well. Tyler Rice won that race. He took the pole. He led every lap, and uh, he, he won the race. So it was a big day for Tyler Rice out there. Yeah, he wasn't denied there at uh, Irwindale. Um, one thing, uh, talk about a takeaway I know I took away, I think this uh, West Series championship yet again is kind of wide open and we see that with Tanner Reef, but then also you had the McAnally's drivers earn their career best finishes uh, with Moore and Herzog, Austin Herzog, both earned their career best finishes in that Napa Auto Parts 150, with Moore coming home second in front of Herzog in a third. Now, Moore is in his second season driving for McAnally, avoided an incident involving Drew and Trevor Huddleston during the overtime restart, to slip into second, and that uh, ultimately his move avo- uh, to avoid Drew and Huddleston ultimately voted was the as the Reese's sweet move of the race. Yeah, they they uh, they always have a boat after the race for the sweet move of the race, and uh, they've got three three um, three chances uh, for three moves on their list this week, and it was Joya East slips through, Jake Drew completes the pass, and Colmore slides to P2, uh, and he definitely won that uh, poll. I know that's a, that's one of those cool programs that they got going this year with the Reese's sweet move of the race. You mentioned it, uh, every race they'll have three, I believe it's three every week of options of you can come on there and vote uh, and give that award away each and every week. Yes, indeed. So, uh, again, uh, they always do a good job with information there at ARCAracing.com. Uh, the races, there's always a radio broadcast that takes place at ARCA Racing. If you're not able to see it on the streaming service, uh, you can listen to it as, with their radio broadcast. 
Uh, they have photo galleries of uh, the Napa Auto Parts 150. Uh, race highlights are there. Those are video highlights. Um, and then the sweet move of the race. Uh, and then the that Tanner Rice Victory Lane interview from Irwindale Speedway. But uh, we had we were kind of lucky. We had Tanner, Tanner Rice on before he raced at Irwindale. And we we said we'd like to talk to him throughout the season and have him come back. Well, once he won the race, we invite him him back after the race at Irwindale Speedway. So uh, if you go back into our uh, RSS feed, you will uh, be able to catch the interview with Tanner uh, before that race and afterwards. So uh, we got lucky on that one, Jay. Well, and that's why we have these drivers on. You know, we ha- have a driver on. People are like, well, who is that? We've never heard of them. Uh, give it a little bit of time. You, you know, you mentioned it. Then they get to come back on the following Monday as part of the winner's circle uh, portion of the program. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I say, we just got uh, very, very lucky on that one. So, uh, anyway, we are uh, definitely looking forward to uh, to uh, more from Tanner Rice as the season continues. And he's definitely uh, one of the drivers to watch in this Arkham series, uh, East or West. Yeah, I mentioned that. We talked about it from last year, that the West seemed to be the most competitive. I believe it was six drivers going into the, the finale um, that really, or mathematically anyway, had a shot at winning. Um, but it was extremely competitive, and I think we're going to see that again from what we've seen already in these first two races, that we're going to have that same style of championship showdown here come the end of the season. Yes, I think so, too. Um, uh, a couple of things uh, that uh, I want to also mention, I noticed here Kyle Larson presents Flow Racing's late model challenge powered by Tezos on April 14th at the Gap uh, Volusia Speedway, I think. Let me see what this is. Volunteer Speedway, the Gap, uh, which is Volunteer Speedway. So uh, that'd be huge, Jay. And they've got a picture of the car on uh, Twitter if you want to check that out. And we've seen this with, with this before. And it's not just a matter of these drivers racing uh, with some of these events and, and other series where they came from, but just to be involved to make these programs, whether it be tracks or series. I know we have the Denny Hamlin uh, Charity Showdown. Kevin Harvick has done some things with different events to, to really help grow the sport as they know that's the future of the sport at these events. So to see an, a driver in this case, Kyle Larson, being involved with that and bringing other drivers, giving the other drivers the opportunity um, to either race or be highlighted in events like this is really huge. It is. Uh, I want to talk a little bit here about our next guest uh, um, uh, that's coming on the show here tonight. Parker Retzlaff uh, is from Rylander, Wisconsin, and uh, it's kind of cool because he's an accomplished uh, iRacer and eNASCAR racer. Uh, and last year he did have a couple of races in the Arca Menard Series. Um, 
so it's kind of cool to see him as he's progressing. If you remember, at Phoenix Raceway, he kind of surprised everybody, Jay, when he was 14th in the practice session. And then in qualifying, he started in the third row in sixth place for the race. Uh, unfortunately, he did have some mechanical problems uh, that didn't give him the finish that he really deserved. Uh, but I think he, a lot of people can know of Parker Rutzlap at uh, Phoenix Raceway. Well, and that's why they say you got to watch the race and understand it. You can't just look at the uh, the final rundown of finishing results because that doesn't always truly reflect it. Uh, he made his name known, and, and there were people that took notice that he was there and who he was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in addition to racing at Phoenix, he's also going to be racing at Richmond this weekend in the Xfinity Series, again, for RSS Racing. He's also going to be at Martinsville Speedway, Dover, Nashville, uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway, um, Pocono, Kansas, Bristol, and the season finale also at Phoenix Raceway. So he's going to get a second chance uh, to race at Phoenix and maybe find some redemption for the mechanical issues he experienced, uh, you know, in this first uh, Phoenix race. Well, and we'll talk to him about that when he comes on, because I do have some questions as it pertains to that. You would think uh, going back to one particular track for a second time, especially where we saw that he did have the speed of what his anticipation is for an event like that. But also you mentioned the tracks that he's running there, a little bit of variety. So the the exposure they get when they put these deals together um, also comes into play as becoming a well-rounded driver on all circuits. Absolutely, and like you say, we'll ask him about uh, his thoughts there. So let's uh, let's bring him into the queue now. He is here. And uh, first of all, Parker, uh, thank you so much for being available to be on the show here tonight. We really appreciate it, and I love the opportunity to get to know you better. Uh, you really made a splash out of Phoenix Raceway with some really good results. Uh, not only in the practice session where you finished 14th, but when you qualified sixth for that Xfinity Series race, that was your Xfinity Series debut, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I mean, I I was never at Phoenix before I got there, and I never drove an Xfinity car before I got to Phoenix. So it was definitely a, a learning experience, and uh, I, uh, my nerves were, were high going into practice and qualifying, but it felt made me feel better knowing that how uh, prepared the team was and I felt how prepared I felt I was going into the race. And uh, it overall was really, really good. I just hope that we can keep it all together this weekend and just end up with a good finish. Well, well, Parker, that's one of the questions that I have because uh, you're very accomplished in the uh, iRacing arena as well as the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola Series. Um, and how has I'm, – I'm thinking that that's helped you prepare for coming into the Xfinity Series uh, and racing in the Xfinity Series uh, and at Phoenix and now at Richmond. Is that what you're doing to kind of help prepare yourself for both of those? 
yeah, I definitely do a lot of the iRacing stuff and practice to every track I can before I go there and run as many laps as I can to do the get ready for my Cindy stuff and the Iris and Coca-Cola series stuff. I actually tonight have to uh, do some crew chiefing stuff for the guy who does my crew chiefing for the E-NASCAR stuff in the Road to Pro series tonight. So I'm still doing that Irising stuff before I leave to go to Richmond tomorrow, and I'm just trying to be as prepared as I can before we get there. Okay, well that's fantastic, and and that, those are with Roush Racing, is that correct? Yeah, I'm with RFK for the uh, eNASCAR uh, Coca-Cola Racing Series, driving the number six. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool, and and that that's a big team to have behind you in both of those in that series, uh, and then RSS Racing is an affiliate team with with RFK. So um, do you get a chance to kind of work with the RFK drivers uh, in preparation as well? Uh, I'm not really working with them right now. It's more just stuff really on the sim side, but hopefully in the future I can end up working with Kozlowski and Busher and them guys, everyone at RFK. But right now I'm really leaning on Ryan Sieg from – from the Xfinity team and trying to learn everything he can because of all the experience he has in the Xfinity series. Yes, and he's he's a, he's a good uh, coach, I'm sure. Well, we have with us here our co-host for tonight, and that is Jay Huseman. And I know he has some questions for you, too, so I'm going to kind of pass it on over to, to uh, Jay so that he can ask you a few questions. All right, thank you, Sharon. The first question, you, you kind of touched on it a little. I know you said you hadn't gotten a chance to, uh, to work directly with uh, Brad Keselowski, but we've had a couple on here as of late, uh, our own James Bickford, as well as Ryan Vargas, uh, I think it was last week, talking about this e-racing. Even just getting to talk to other drivers as they help coach you through uh, i-racing or e-racing, what you can learn just from talking to another driver about certain tracks, especially if it's tracks you're going to and haven't been to before. Yeah, I mean, I feel like any uh, information you can learn from any driver who's been there, raced in the higher levels. Like, uh, I've been trying to talk to everyone I can and learn as much as I can before I get to Richmond, just to have the best base I can when I get out there for practice. Since we don't have a, we don't have a long practice session, so you got to make the most of it in the little time you got. So, I'm just trying to be as prepared as I can when we get there. Well, and I read from your press press release uh, article that was out, you talked about your ability as a driver to be able to adapt quickly uh, to any track, any car situation with that. When you put your schedule together, I know a lot of things go into putting together a schedule, I'm sure, uh, sponsors as well as uh, your schedule and availability, but it looked like you had a, quite a, a variety. Are those tracks you wanted to race at or you think you uh, need more experience on? How is it? What is it you look at when you're trying to put together a schedule? It was uh, it was more just like uh, short tracks where at the beginning of the schedule just to get more familiar since that's where I, I grew up doing is more short track stuff. So I felt like that was the most comfortable for me. That's why I went to Phoenix first and then a couple of short tracks. And then we didn't want to just make it all short tracks for the whole year. So I had some experience like next year and the years coming at the bigger places. So it was more just what everyone felt was good and where I should go to learn the most this year and then try and take in the next few years 
which is why we ended up picking going to some of the bigger places where you'll learn more about like the arrow stuff and just all that other stuff that you don't or isn't as uh isn't as big at the short tracks. Well, with that, a follow-up question to that. Uh, growing up in Wisconsin, I know some of the tracks uh, up in that area haven't come from Minnesota. Were there any that you tried to parallel with tracks similar? I know you say no matter what track it is, if it at least has similarities to some of these new ones you're visiting or what you take from them. So what ones from Wisconsin, talk about the ones you run at, ran at Wisconsin growing up and parallel it to them, some of them here in the southeast or across the country that you're looking at. I mean, I don't really know which one's from Wisconsin right now. I can really base off of where I'm racing at Richmond and Phoenix, especially when I went to Phoenix, and it was it's kind of different in both corners, and there's, like, the like the the resin on the top of the racetrack that makes it all sticky. So it wasn't really anywhere for, I feel like, these two races that I can really take from Wisconsin that I'll have, like, experience with or feel more comfortable at. I think I just have to go there and try and watch videos and, learn as much as I can from uh, other drivers who have been there before and then just uh, just do as much as I can in practice, see myself as comfortable. All right. The last question I have there is still, is still pertaining to the tracks, if you will. What's one track you really look at that you think you could uh, be extremely good at and capitalize on? And what's one that you think of as a challenge that uh, unique or, or otherwise that you look forward to with, kind of with anticipation of the challenge? Uh, I feel like the places I'm looking forward to is like uh, Dover. I really like Dover when I went there in the Arca Series the last couple of years. So I feel like that's a place, it's the first place I go to where I will have experience at the track before I get there in the Xfinity Cars. I feel like that's going to help me a lot better than trying to learn the track at the same time. So I think if I go there and know the track, I will be a little bit better off in practice. We can, you know, try and make a little adjustment in my car and make it better, and it's not just me learning the track. So I think Dover and then I think Pocono for the challenge and uh, how big it is and everything I think is the other place I'm looking forward to. All right. Well, that was, that was kind of the one I was thinking about. I, I've heard some uh, some top drivers uh, say that they still got to try and figure out Pocono. So I wanted to see where your thoughts were, and that kind of lines up with, uh, with everybody else. A uh, very unique track there for sure. I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon Parker. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Parker, one of the things that uh, you mentioned is that you raced in the Arkham and Arts Series East. Uh, you had 12 starts there uh, with 10 top 10 finishes uh, between racing in the Arkham and Arts Series and what you noticed in your first race at Phoenix and now going into uh, uh, Richmond this weekend. What are the differences between the cars? I mean, it's just more power. I mean, every there's. I feel like everyone in the Xfinity stuff's a lot closer. It's more. You have to be on top of your game. You'll lose a lot more spots in a quick hurry with a little mistake. So, I think you have to be a lot more prepared, and everything has to go a lot better, and everything has to be perfectly if you're gonna run at the top of the Xfinity series. And then going into Richmond this weekend. What are your what are your goals and expectations for Richmond this weekend? I mean, I feel like my goals this weekend are just to run clean, learn as much as I can, and if I can come out of there with a, a top twenty, top fifteen, I'll be happy with myself. And 
I'll just I'm just trying to learn as much as I can the first couple of races, and then uh, once I get it all together, I will. We're gonna try and just keep getting better and better week in and week out, and just try and start getting better finishes every week. Okay, and and I I kind of uh, think that with the way you started, that that's probably gonna happen. Uh, you're driving the number 38 car uh, for RSS Racing uh, this weekend. Talk about your team on that car, your crew chief, your spotter, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a lot of good people around me. I just, I got, like, Ryan to lean on, and I got a crew chief that's been in it for a long time and spotters who have done it for a while so I just I got everything around me that I need to run good I just need to get myself comfortable and try to eliminate as many mistakes as I can and and I'm just trying to learn as much from Ryan and everyone around me and take it and be as best as I can every week okay well that's that's the, the main thing uh and developing that rapport uh, with your spotter and your crew chief is always uh, kind of a big deal. Uh, do you have the same uh, crew chief and spotter every race? Yes, I have the same crew chief and spotter every race. It's uh, it's oh, nice okay. to not switch and be able to just stay and learn each other every week, and that can help get better too. I mean, I know that switching, like, crew chief and spotters can mess drivers up. So I think it's good that I have them the same every week and we can just learn each other and learn what works best for each other. Okay. Let's talk about your iRacing and eNASCAR career. Um, and, and how long have you been doing that? Um, I've been doing actually like the iRacing stuff for seven years, but this is my first year in the eNASCAR Coco iRacing series with uh, RFK, so it's been, it's a lot of uh, hard work, and that's another thing where everyone's on top of their game, and that's what they, is what everyone dedicates most of their time to if you're going to compete at the top of it, so it's definitely uh, really time-consuming, and uh, I guess you could say stressful at some point of trying to do the Xfinity stuff in real life and the Coca-Cola series at the same time. Yeah, I would imagine your schedule is pretty heavy. Uh, are you still going to school, Parker? Uh, no, I'm actually, I graduated last year. So I'm just fully focusing on my racing stuff and trying to be the best I can in that. Okay. Uh, now, before you go, I want to give you a chance to do any other shout-outs uh, that you want to do. And then also, let's tell fans how they can follow you on social media uh, again, your next race, you're racing at Richmond Raceway uh, this weekend. Uh, so fans will be able to see you on the track in that number 38 car this weekend. Yeah, i got to give a shout-out to, like, Ponzi and my parents. I think I know they're listening. So I thank them for everything they do and uh, all the hard work they put in everything. But Ponzi, Absolute Realtors, Northern Trail Water, uh, Iron Horse Loggers. And you can follow me on all social media at that. Parker Retzloff Racing on Facebook and then Parker Retzloff on Instagram and Parker79P on Twitter. So I appreciate everyone's oh. support. Okay. Well, Parker, I, I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing what you're going to do uh, at Richmond this weekend. Uh, uh, you seem to – I know you said you were a little bit nervous, but you seem to have that 
uh, in hand, if you will, uh, and and uh, you're cool under pressure, it seems like, uh, to be able to get the results that you had at Phoenix. So uh, really looking forward to seeing what happens at Richmond Raceway this weekend. Are you doing any other racing in between Xfinity Series races? I mean, besides CI racing and eNASCAR? I mean, that all comes down to, like, the sponsorship and everything we can get together for that. But I would love to race anything I can on, on dirt, asphalt, anything like that. I'm I'm down to race. It's just all whatever marketing stuff we can get together. And uh, I would love to do as many races as I can this year. So, yeah, it all comes down to marketing and whatever that we can get set up for the year. Okay. Well, another good reason to follow Parker Retzlaff. Uh, so that you can keep up with uh, those uh, opportunities as they come up. And, Parker, once again, thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight. We enjoyed getting to know you, and I certainly hope uh, that this is not the last time we get a chance to talk with you and that you'll come back and visit with us again. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, Take care and good luck out at Richmond. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night, y'all. All right. Parker Retzlaff with RSS Racing will be uh, making his Xfinity Series debut at Richmond Raceway. Uh, he did race at Phoenix in the Xfinity Series, but I think this is the first time that he's going to be racing at Richmond Raceway uh, in this uh, Xfinity Series. So uh, uh, I really enjoyed talking with him tonight, Jay. Yeah, and it, and it's one of those of you get better each and every time you show up. The more experience you get, and we saw what he's capable of as far as speed. You mentioned practice and qualifying race. Unfortunately, a mechanical problem didn't get the finish, but the step is stepping up from that. Then you know he's going to be a contender. Yes, yes, uh, I'm definitely thinking that is going to be the case. It's it's kind of like uh, a duck to water. It seems like he really. Uh, was comfortable in that car right from the very beginning. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to where he goes from there. And the other thing I know uh, we've seen the, the evolution and growth of RSS racing um, for them to be able to provide the team for him on the, on these starts that he's getting um, as that team continues to build uh, from a family team, I, I think that's a great opportunity for, for, for Parker Retzlaff to be a part of that at, at RSS Racing. Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, and the fact that they're affiliated with the uh, RFK Racing, uh, I think is even better because they're, that's a development uh, group. And uh, we know how good RFK can be uh, with the veteran drivers that they have working there. So, you know, as a part of that, and Ryan Seed, it's been fun to watch his uh, growth curve in the Xfinity Series. So the fact that he's working with Parker, I think, is, is a fantastic thing for Parker. And most okay. definitely. Let's go ahead and get into our truck series update uh, because they are not racing this weekend, but they will be racing next weekend at Martinsville Speedway. And you remember Parker is racing at Richmond, but he's going to be racing at Martinsville next weekend as well in the Xfinity. Uh, 
series. So the Blue Emu uh, Maximum Pain Relief 200 for the Camping World Truck Series will be on Thursday, April the 7th. Do we have to reschedule our show? Oh, I might have to take a look at that because I think uh, we may have to look at uh, maybe doing the show on Wednesday instead. Uh, that's at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 with some uh, pre-race info available at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, but, uh, again, that race is taking place next weekend. Uh, but there's some really good things that have already been announced within the Camping World Truck Series that I think fans are going to love. Well, we had hoped for this, and it has been officially announced now. Jessica Friesen uh, returns to the Truck Series with Halmar Friesen Racing. She'll return to the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series and compete in two dirt races on the schedule. The uh, Pinty's Truck Race at, on dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway uh, Dirt on April 16th. And then the Camping World Truck Series Race at Knoxville Raceway on June 18th. Friesen will be able to compete alongside her husband and teammate then Stuart Friesen, uh, the number 52 Halmar Friesen Racing Toyota. She will be in the number 62 Halmar Friesen Racing Toyota. Crew Chief Trip Bruce on top of the pit box to help her out. Now, she made her Camping World Truck Series debut last season at Knoxville Raceway, where she started 25th and finished 26th. She unfortunately did not get to run the Bristol Dirt Race there due to the qualifying. Jay? Oh, Jay's call dropped for whatever reason, so he'll probably be calling back into the show here momentarily. Uh, let me see if I can finish up with what he's saying. Uh, she started at Knoxville, really, she finished 26th. So she's definitely uh, uh, looking to get back uh, in that car. Now, the Sonoka rookie update, Lawless Allen jumps to the rookie standings lead. Uh, which is pretty big news for Lawless Allen. I'm sure he's excited about that. I'm going to bring Jay back into the queue here uh, real quick. Um, Lawless Allen uh, from Nice Motorsports uh, is in 11th place uh, was his finish at the Circuit of the Americas, and that catapulted him to the Camping World Truck Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings lead. He's from Van Nuys, California, and in his first full season in the Truck Series, and his 11th place at, at Dakota was his best series career finish. He's now eight points up on Kyle Busch Motorsports' Corey Heim in second, in the rookie standings, followed by Jack Wood, who's 15 points back, Dean Thompson, 18 points back, and Blaine Perkins at 42 points back. So, yay for Lawless Allen. And I don't think that's the last time. Yeah, I don't (laughs) think that's the last time this year we're going to see that rookie uh, points lead swap over. I don't think so either. Now, I know they talked about it a lot at the Cup Series level, but we got some youth movement going on in the Truck Series as well. As the average age of Truck Series winners this year is 20.5. NASCAR Camping World Truck Series is known for being a mix of young and up-and-coming stars 
as well as stealing veterans if they're ballot out each and every week. But this season, the youngsters of the series have kind of been stealing the spotlight early with that average of the three different winners so far in the first four races being 20.5. we got front, front row motorsports, 22-year-old Zane Smith has two Camping World Truck Series victories already this season coming at Daytona and then this past race at the Circuit of Americas. Uh, the other two truck, truck Series races have been won by a pair of 19-year-olds. You just heard it in the rookie listing, Kyle Busch Motorsports' Chandler Smith in Las Vegas, at Las Vegas, and then Corey Heim, the rookie at Atlanta. And in fact, this current streak of drivers under the age of 30 winning consecutive NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races, the Truck Series here dates back to Nashville Speedway of last season, a total of 14 consecutive races since a driver the age of 30 or older has last won in the series. And that was Ryan Priest at 30 years, 7 months, and 24 days. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, uh, well, we're entering the short track segment of the uh, NASCAR Top 3 Series uh, with Richmond this weekend. And then next weekend, uh, when we move to Martinsville, the Camping World Truck Series will be on hand. Uh, And then right after that, it's Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt when the series uh, returns back uh, after Martinsville. So last season, the trucks only visited Martinsville Speedway once, and it was quite a show with 10 different lead changes among four drivers. Uh, it looked as though Todd Gilliland was going to win that race after leading 133 of the scheduled 204 laps, but it was Zane Smith who passed him on that final lap to take the checkered flag and earn a spot in the playoffs championship four. Sounds like Zane Smith is picking up where he left off, Jay. Uh, Also, the Bristol Motor Speedway dirt race was a spectacle unto itself. The event, that event produced 11 lead changes among six drivers, and it was NASCAR Cup Series veteran Martin Truex Jr., uh, then driving for Kyle Busch Motorsports that scored him the win. It was his first in the series. So that was an exciting win for Martin Truex. I am most certainly was. And you mentioned uh, Zane Smith, runner-up in the championship for the last two years, looking to be the championship uh, overall winner. And we'll talk about him here as he heads off into the week after rallying for a win at Coda. A uh, driver for Front Row Motorsports, just when they needed that rallying win, Zane Smith delivered. After opening the season with a massive win at Daytona International Speedway, Smith and the number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford uh, team through the wind, thought the wind was at their backs for the 2022 Camping World Truck Series season. Smith had locked into the playoffs with that win at Daytona and was atop the series driver standings. But then the very next week, after another strong run that saw Smith cross the finish line in second at Las Vegas, the truck failed post-race inspection. The result was disqualified, relegating him to a 36-place finish. That was the lug nut situation we've been talking about on Hot Topics. Now, that 36-place finish dropped dropped Smith from the uh, standings lead uh, to 12th in points. Although it was a skid in early season momentum, Smith uh, was determined to rebound, and he did just that. 
at Atlanta the following weekend. He managed a fifth-place finish. And then last weekend in that final restart, he made a pass for the lead to take the win, becoming the first multiple, multiple winner of the 2022 season with Daytona and Coda. And overall, it was uh, Smith's fifth career NASCAR Camping World Truck Series victory at in Front Row Motorsports' second consecutive team win at Circuit of the Americas, as Todd Gillen did it last year in 2021. Smith is now back up to fourth in the driver's standings, just 31 points behind uh, Chandler Smith from the standings lead. Now, Smith not only gets an extra week to soak that in the spoils of his win at Coda, but also is the latest series winner of next week's track, Martinsville Speedway. Smith won the playoff race at the historic half mile last season to earn his spot into the championship four round of the playoffs. So that track very special to him. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, the 2022 Camping World Truck Series season is truly off to a fast start. The first four races this season have passed the eye test, producing side-by-side action-packed competition. And it's certainly no surprise because the stats are backing up what the fans are seeing. Uh, the first four Truck Series races this year have produced an average of 16.7 lead changes per race. Uh, That's the most through the first four races of the Truck Series season since the series in 1995. Now, add to that, the final lead change of each of the first four races this season have occurred with two laps or less in each event. With two of the four races this season, concluding with a margin of victory of less than a second. Uh, That's excitement packed in. Uh, The Truck Series has seen 21 different drivers lead laps this season. That, again, is the most through the first four races since 2005 uh, when it was 24. Uh, The first four races of this season have produced an average of nine different leaders per race. Uh, Again, that's the most through four races since the inception of the series in 95. Now, this weekend, the truck series is going to be off to regroup for next Thursday's April 7th Louie Moon Maximum Plan Relief 200 on the historically famous half-mile Martinsville Speedway. Uh, now, last season, the truck series only visited again uh, Martinsville just that one time. That was in October, and the race was won by Zane Smith. Uh, the series' most recent winner at Circuit of the Americas. So uh, a lot to look forward to with this uh, Camping World Truck Series uh, coming up at Martinsville in another week. Well, and that's why we say they always provide. That's why we say they always provide some of the most exciting racing uh, we get to see uh, on the track, and they have delivered that so far this year. Definitely. All right, next up is the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They are racing this weekend. And before we get into that, I did want to mention, you know, the modified uh, racing uh, is going to be racing this weekend at Richmond. uh, And they're racing on the 1st, which is tomorrow. And uh, there's uh, a couple of names uh, that are going to be familiar to to, uh, fans. Spencer Davis, who's raced in the uh, truck series a few times, uh, he'll be in the number 29 car uh, for his own race team. And then in that number 39 car this weekend 
is going to be Ryan Newman. So that's pretty exciting to see him back on track. The Rocket Man coming back to the Modifieds. We knew we'd see his name pop up uh, several locations. (laughs) I think he's got some SRX uh, races as, as well. So good to see Ryan out there. Yes, he's racing for a new race team uh, that is headed by Hermie Sadler and uh, a state senator. So uh, that's pretty cool that uh, those guys are teaming up for a race team uh, to race at uh, Richmond this weekend in the Modifieds. All right, uh, moving on now to the Xfinity Series. The Toyota Care 250 will be at Richmond on Saturday, April the 2nd at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, the purse is $1,484,000. Uh, they'll start the pre-race show at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, and radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They will be racing a distance of 187.5 miles, 250 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 75. Stage 2, also 75 laps, ends on lap 150. And then the final stage ends on the last lap, 100 laps uh, for the stage, 250 for the lap that it ends on. So, uh, again, this starts the short track segment of the schedule this season, uh, Jay. So uh, this is going to be fun. Well, we talked about this, just mentioned it a little bit earlier. We're going to go in a little more in depth, but Rajah Karuth is going to attempt the NASCAR National Series debut at Richmond. This weekend's in the Toyota Care 250 at Richmond Raceway. Alpha Prime Racing will field an up-and-coming driver, Rajah Karuth, in his first attempt at a NASCAR National Series race. Karuth will pilot the number 44 Chevrolet, and Dan Stillman's going to be his crew chief. Akruth is a prominent iRacer who's competed in the Arkham Menard Series East and also in the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly uh, Series. Most recently, Akruth is uh, competing for a championship in the Arkham Menard Series with Rev Racing and Max Siegel. In two Arkham Menard Series starts this season, he's posted one top five and ranked second in the series driver's standings. Akruth, who is a participant in the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program, hails from Atlanta, Georgia, and while not in a race car, attends the Winston-Salem State University as he's pursuing a major in motorsports management. Well, that's kind of cool. Uh, so I think Roger Caruth is going to be around the sport for quite a long time. All right, Junior Motorsports is looking to tie Richard Childress Racing for the most consecutive wins at Richmond. Right now, RCR solely holds the record for the most consecutive wins at Richmond Raceway in the Xfinity Series with four straight from 2005 fall, the 2006 sweep, and the 2007 spring race. But this weekend, Junior Motorsports, who have won the last three consecutive Xfinity Series races at Richmond, could tie RCR for the series' most consecutive wins at the point seven-five-mile track. That's three-quarters of a mile. Junior Motorsports teammates Justin Algauer uh, won in the 2020 sweep, Noah Gregson in 2021, 
and they are the only former winners entered this weekend in the Toyota Care 250. So will they do it? I think there's probably a good chance they just might do it. I would have to think so. Uh, now, when we look at the Xfinity Series, Sunoco Rookie of the Year update, uh, things continue to look up for rookie Austin Hill as he's posted back-to-back runner-up finishes in Atlanta and Coda, proving that he is a strong contender in both racetracks and road courses. And he currently has one win, which came at Daytona, three top fives and three top tens, and has 172 points in the standings. Sheldon Creed has also had a successful race in Austin as he posted a top 10 finish in his six series, six Xfinity series starts this season. He was posted four top 10 finishes and has 149 points going into the race at Richmond. Kyle Sieg and Jesse Wujia did not compete at Coda this past weekend. So they are each coming into the Toyota Care 250 with 74 and 24 points respectively. We'll see how uh, the rest of their season plays out, but we see the RCR pair battling up front right now. That is true. Okay, it's time for the Dash for Cash, and everybody's wondering who's going to take home that first $100,000 bonus this season. Uh, Now, the Dash for Cash program was designed to add elements of unpredictability and drama leading up to and during four designated races. Uh, It should increase the on-track competition, engage fans, and reward and recognize Xfinity Series regular competitors. The first chance for drivers to win that $100,000 for Cash for Cash bonus will be this Saturday at Richmond. Now, at last week's race at Circuit of the Americas, the first qualifier, that was the first qualifying race. So we will be seeing A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Hill, Noah Gregson, and Sam Mayer dashing for their chance to win that bonus. Of course, for Gregson is the only one with a NASCAR Xfinity Series Richmond Raceway win of those four. Uh, He also has posted two top fives and four top tens at the track since he started competing at Richmond in 2018. Now, the series' most recent winner at Coda, A.J. Allmendinger, has made two series starts at Richmond, putting up an average finish of 16.0. Sam Mayer made his track debut last season. He started 38 and raced his way up to a 12-place finish. That's pretty impressive. And Austin Hill will be making his series track debut, which went this weekend. The winner and the next three highest finishing full-time NASCAR Xfinity Series drivers will qualify for the next Dash for Cash race at Martinsville Speedway on April the 8th, and the format will continue for Talladega Super Speedway on the 23rd and Dover Motor Speedway on April the 30th. So all those Dash for Cash races uh, taking place in April, uh, and four drivers, maybe one driver, four winners uh, are going to take home $100,000 bonus from those races. And that's one of those great programs I like to see in the Xfinity Series, uh, again, for Xfinity Series regulars uh, as they work their way through the season, a little bit of a bonus, and uh, rotating the eligibility for it. So we'll see how that plays out. Now, it is a Richmond return for Richmond Raceway, 
as the Xfinity Series will be headed to Virginia to compete at the .75 mile track Richmond Raceway this weekend for that Toyota Care 250. This will be the 76th Xfinity Series race at Richmond Raceway. The pre- previous 75 Xfinity races at Richmond has produced 39 different pole winners and 37 different race winners. Kevin Harvick leads the Xfinity Series at Richmond Raceway with the most wins at seven, top fives, 18, and top tens with 21. Now, you can't leave it out. Kyle Busch's name is also written on the Richmond Raceway record books as he holds the qualifying record at 129.348 miles per hour and has led a record 1,497 laps. Mentioned only two former Xfinity Richmond winners are entered this weekend, junior motorsports teammates Justin Algar with the two wins from 2020, uh, both in that year, and the current points leader, Noah Gregson, who did it last year. And fans saw that last saw Noah Gregson secure that victory by a margin of .381 seconds last season. His win in Richmond marked the second of the 2021 season after having won at Darlington Raceway just the week before. Gregson went on to win one more time last season. That came at Martinsville Speedway, which is also coming up on the uh, the schedule. So Gregson's got looks like he's got a pretty good schedule ahead of him here. He does. Uh, it looks like he'll be a, a good one to pick uh, for your fantasy team. All right, Dominguez hopes to build on his Circuit of the Americas win, uh, and he hopes to take that momentum to Richmond. After posting a top ten finish in every race this season so far, the veteran NASCAR driver AJ Allmendinger finally took home the checkered flag at the Fox 250 in Austin, Texas. This marked uh, that win marked his first of the 2020. To season and the 11th of his Xfinity Series career and his series record seventh road course win. He's, uh, he's also won at Road America in 2013 and 19, Mid-Ohio in 2013 and 21, and Charlotte's Roval in 2020 and 21. Dinger lived up to his road course, course reputation and he led the pack for a race-high 27 of 46 laps at the 3.41-mile circuit last weekend. Uh, finishing second was Xfinity Series rookie Austin Hill, who earned his second consecutive runner-up finish, as we mentioned earlier. Not far behind him was NASCAR Cup Series regular Cole Custer, followed by junior motorsports teammates Noah Gregson and Sam Mayer. Now, Kai Ty Gibbs was hoping to snag his third Xfinity Series win this season. He was battling it out with Almondinger and Ross Chastain for the lead, but after being forced to head to pit road on lap 20, he wasn't able to stay on the top, but still managed to work his way to a top 15 finish. Gibbs, who was the pole winner for the pit boss 250, currently finds himself third in the series point standings uh, with 227 points. Almendinger sits in second at 257. He's just one point shy from Hook Rakeson in first place at 258 points. So uh, it's going to be a big battle between A.J. Almendinger and Noah Gregson. This weekend, they'll all be back 
to compete in the Toyota Care 250 at Richmond Raceway, and it's going to be exciting. The on-track activity for the Xfinity Series begins with practice on Saturday, April the 2nd at 8.30 a.m. That's Eastern Time, followed by qualifying at 9 a.m. Eastern, and both will be televised on Fox Access 1. So uh, I think we've got a lot to look forward to in that Xfinity Series, Jay. And, and on top of that, you just add in that bonus, as you will, of the Dash for Cash, another one of those races yes. within a race, going to keep that exciting as well. And Noah and uh, A.J. Almendinger are both in that group. Yeah, All you're right. right. You mentioned yeah. that about looking at those two going head-to-head as far as uh, several matchups. Yeah, I think so. All right. Now we're going to look at the NASCAR Cup Series. They're going to be racing the Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway on Sunday, April the 3rd. Uh, they, the race should start at around 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse, $7,110,735. Uh, Fox will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 3 p.m. Eastern, as will MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they'll be racing a distance of 300 miles. That's over 400 laps. And uh, the first stage ends on lap 70. Uh, The second stage on lap 230. So that is what, 30? That's uh, 160 laps, if I read that right. Stage ends on the last lap, lap 400, which should be another 170 laps. So uh, look for an exciting race at Richmond in the NASCAR Cup Series. Well, we talked about it a little bit with the Truck Series, but here we got a new crew of young guns. The average age of the six NASCAR Cup Series winners this season is 26.7 years old, with none of the six older than the age of 30. Got Austin Sindrick at 23 years old, Kyle Larson at 29, Alex Bowman 28, Chase Briscoe, 27, William Byron at 24, and then Ross Chastain sneaking in also at the age of 29. Now, the youthful winners are not only uh, encapsulated in the Cup Series. The average age of the winners in the Xfinity Series is a sprightly 25.7. You mentioned the Camping World Truck Series is 20.5. So you see that step of uh, age groups as well, but we're seeing it all the way up to the Cup Series level. That's so true. It's been amazing, all the new winners this year, uh, a lot of first-time winners. Okay, now Chris Long has been named the honorary pace car driver at Richmond Raceway. It was announced this week that former National Football League and University of Virginia player Chris Long is going to lead the field to green in his home state of Virginia as the honorary pace car driver for the Toyota Owners 400 on uh, April the 3rd. Long is a native of Charlottesville, Virginia. He played defensive end for the University of Virginia from 2004 to 2007 and was selected second second overall in the 2008 NFL draft and played 11 seasons for the St. Louis Rams from 2008 to 2015. He also played for the New England Patriots from 2016 and the Philadelphia Eagles from 17 and 18. So uh, it's going to be fun to see Carl Long at the track this weekend and on the track. 
Well, we talked about this uh, for quite a while prior to, but we're seeing it on the track now. The next gen uh, set back-to-back records and passes for the lead. As the NASCAR Cup Series next-gen car has put on quite the show so far this season. Uh, so much, it's breaking records. For the second consecutive race this season, the NASCAR Cup Series has set new series records for total green flag passes for the lead on a particular track type. We had Atlanta Motor Speedway produced a NASCAR Cup Series record for green flag passes uh, for the lead on the 1.5-mile track with 141 green flag passes for the lead. The previous record for green flag passes uh, for the lead on the 1.5-mile track and the Cup Series level was held by Texas Motor Speedway with 57. So almost uh, blew it out of the water by 100 there. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that was back in 2019. Now this last Sunday, the Circuit of America produced a NASCAR Cup Series record for green green flag passes for the lead on a road course track with 30 green flag passes for the lead. The previous record for total green flag passes for the lead on a road course at the Cup Series level was held by Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, and that was at 22. So that one's not quite as big, but again, road course, you don't have quite as many uh, opportunities with the shorter uh, lap count, but uh, Indianapolis record was set in 2021. Now, the green flag passes for the lead is a loop data statistic. It was created back in 2007 and measures that number of lead changes throughout throughout a green flag lap of competition. So good to see. We so we didn't know what to expect with this next-gen car. I think we're seeing good things with it here to start the season. Yes, indeed. And talking about first-time winners, Trackhouse Racing, Ross Chastain is certainly rising to the top. With his victory last weekend at Circuit of the Americas, Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain became the third first-time winner of the season and the 39th different driver to win in all three of NASCAR's national series. Career, Ross Chastain is locked into the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs and his previous best finish in the driver point standings in the series was 20th just last season. That's amazing. Now the Florida native is ranked fifth in the driver points after posting uh, series leading four top five finishes, uh, and that makes him tied with Chase Elliott. Now Chastain will look to keep the early season momentum going this weekend at Richmond Raceway. The 29-year-old has made six series starts at Richmond. He's posted one top ten finish, and he finished 15th last year at Richmond Spring Race. So uh, could be one of the drivers to watch this weekend. Uh, when they return back to Richmond Raceway. Well, there's been some talk of uh, people wondering about Chase Elliott looking for his first win of the 2022 season, but he's the standings leader. The Hendrick Motorsports <laughs> has three of its four drivers already locked into that 2022 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs on wins this season, and the odd man out without a win yet is the current points leader, Chase Elliott. Now, he jumped to the standings lead following Atlanta and has since opened up his point lead to 13 points over second Ryan Blaney. Now, Elliott is off to a hot start this season. Though winless, Elliott has joined Ross Chastain as the only drivers this season to finish in the top 10 in four of the six races. 
Looking ahead to Richmond Raceway, Elliott has made 12 series starts, posting four top fives and five top tens. He also has a win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series at the .7-mile track as well, coming back in 2015. Uh, He finished 12th in the Richmond Cup Spring Race and 4th in the playoff race last season. Now, if Chase Elliott were to win the NASCAR Cup Series race this weekend at Richmond, the Elliotts would join the Petties, uh, Lee and Richard and Kyle, the Earnhardts of Dale and Dale Earnhardt Jr., the Allisons of Bobby and Davey, and then the Jarretts, uh, Ned and Dale, as the fifth father-son combo to win a Cup Series event at Richmond, uh, as NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott won at Richmond back in 1992. Very cool. I've seen the trend developing here. We've heard this before. Uh, There are six winners in as many races here in the Cup Series. Uh, so they've all clicked their ticket to the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs this season, leaving just 10 spots still up for grabs uh, as the series heads to Richmond this weekend. Right now, Hendrick Motorsports drivers Alex Bowman, William Byron, and Kyle Larson, Tim Penske's Austin Cindric, and Third House Racing's Chase Briscoe, along with Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain, are the six winners locked into the playoffs so far. At the other end of the playoff outlook, Daniel Suarez in 16th, the final playoff transfer position, a mere seven points up over petty GMS motorsports driver Eric Jones in 17th, the first spot outside of the postseason cutoff. Now, Richard Childress Racing's Austin Dillon is right now 18th and 19 points between himself and Suarez. Now, Suarez has made nine starts at Richmond, He's posted three top tens. Jones also making nine starts at the three-quarter mile track, posting one top ten finish. Dillon's made 15 starts at Richmond, putting up one top five and four top tens. And last season in the Richmond Spring Race, of the three, Dillon posted the best finish at 10th, followed by Daniel Spurs at 16th, Jones at 19th. So that cutoff, is going to be an interesting uh, area of the points to watch uh, going into and out of Richmond. Most certainly. And one other thing you kind of hit on there of first-time winners plenty. So who's next? We just talked about Trackhouse <laughs> Racing's Ross Chastain, who became the third – I apologize for that. Uh, first-time – or sorry, became the third first-time winner – in the NASCAR Cup Series for 2022, as we've had Austin Sendrick at Daytona and Chase Briscoe at Phoenix. Uh, Chastain picking up that big victory at the Circuit of America. The win makes the 2022 the first time since 2001 that the series has seen three first-time winners in these first six races. Now, the series heads to Richmond Raceway this weekend uh, for the Toyota 400, What are the chances of that fourth new winner sitting in victory lane on Sunday? Uh, If it's a first-time winner that takes the checkered flag this weekend at Richmond, 2022 NASCAR Cup season would become that first season in the modern era, which stretches from 1972 to the present, um, with four or more first-time winners in the first seven races of the season, and just the third all-time, and that would be behind the series' inaugural season in 1949 
which saw six first-time winners, and then its sophomore season in 1950, where we had five first-time winners. I mentioned the 1950 season. That holds the NASCAR Cup Series record for the most first-time winners in a single season, which had 12 different drivers getting their first win that year. The 2001, 2002, and 2011 season are tied for the series' most first-time winners in a single season in that modern era with uh, five first-time winners each. Richmond Raceway has been the home to five first-time winners in the Cup Series, with Casey Kane being the most recent to accomplish the feat, and his came on uh, May 14th in 2005. Tony Stewart did it in September uh, on the 11th in 1999. Kyle Petty going back to February 23rd in 1986. Neil Bonnet was uh, September 11th, 1977. And then James Hilton, uh, March 1st, 1970. When we're looking at the field entered into this weekend, there are 11 drivers looking for that first career Cup Series win yet. Uh, listed alphabetically by last name, we got Harrison Burton, Landon Castle, Ty Dillon, Todd Gillen, Corey LaJoy, Andy Lally, B.J. McLeod, Tyler Reddick, Garrett Smithley, Daniel Suarez, and Cody Ware. And we've already seen a couple of those up there up front contending for that victory, so we could well see it this weekend at Richmond. Absolutely. I think it's going to be uh, fun. Uh, My money's on either Tyler Reddick or Daniel Suarez. All right. Those would be the top Uh, two, I'd have to agree. (laughs) Cup Series competitors are ready for Richmond Raceway and short track racing. Uh, The next-gen car has competed on super speedways, intermediates, road courses, but this weekend is the first points-paying race on a short track. And not just any short track. Uh, The series heads to Virginia uh, this weekend, which is a three-quarter mile track at Richmond Raceway. The 2022 Cup Series season has been filled with stellar on-track competition, producing six different winners in as many races, including three first-time winners with Austin Cindric, Chase Crystal, and Ross Chastain. Plus, the series has seen four different driver point standings leaders through the first six races, with Hendrick Motorsports driver current Chase Elliott right now out in front. Now, this weekend, the Cup Series prepares for the close beating and banging type of racing that fans love at short tracks like Richmond. Originally known as the Atlantic Rural Exposition Fairgrounds, Richmond Raceway held its first race in 1946 as a half-mile dirt track. The first NASCAR Cup Series race at Richmond was held on April 19, 1953, and it was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Lee Petty in a Petty Enterprises Dodge with an average speed of 45.535 miles per hour. Now, the track surface was changed from dirt to asphalt between races in 1968, and in total, Richmond Raceway has hosted the Cup Series 130 times, producing 55 different pole winners and 53 different race winners. NASCAR Hall of Famers Richard Petty in 61, 67, 68, 69, and 70 sweeps, including 74 and 75. Uh, Bobby Allison uh, in 1972 swept 
in 73 suites, and 74, 76, 79, and 82 lead the NASCAR Cup Series in polls at Richmond with eight each. Six of the 55 Cup Series Richmond Raceway poll winners are active this weekend, led by Jimmy Hamlin uh, with three, 2006, 8, and 16, and Kevin Harvick with three in 2005, 18, and 19 with three poles apiece. Uh, behind them are Brad Keselowski and Joy Logano with two, and Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. each with one. Now, NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty leads the Cup Series and wins at Richmond. He has 13 victories in the spring of 61 and 67. uh, That was a 67 sweep. The fall of 68, the fall of 70 and 71 sweeps. Uh, 72, there was a sweep. 73, a sweep. In the fall of 74 and the spring of 75. The third most wins by a single driver at a single track in series history. Behind his 15 wins at Martinsville and Northworks for nine of the 53 NASCAR Cup Series Richmond winners are active this weekend, led by Kyle Busch with six victories in the spring of 2009 and 10, the spring of 2011 and 12, and the 2018 sweep. Hendrick Motorsports driver Alex Bowman is the defending winner of this weekend's race at Richmond Raceway. We mentioned Kyle Busch with six wins, Danny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. of Ball have three, Brad Keselowski, Joel Logano, Kurt Busch all have two, and Alex Bowman and Kyle Larson have one win apiece. All the off-track action begins Saturday, April the 2nd with practice at 10.30 a.m. to 11.15, and immediately follow is the Busch Light Pole Qualifying from 11.15 to 12.30 p.m. Both events will be broadcast on Fox Sports 1. Uh, And we went just a little overtime here tonight, and I apologize for that. Uh, But we are now ready for our NASA Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining us for that is Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, good to be back. Well, it's good to have you back. Uh, now, we do have uh, just the three of us on our hot topics tonight, so that should be interesting. Um, we'll let you, Mike, start off with our first hot topic for tonight. Well, sure. I know Jay has, uh, has brought this one up most recently, but I know we've talked about it before. Uh, with the length of cautions that we've seen at really long racetracks like Circuit of the Americas, should NASCAR seek to reduce the number of cautions? Specifically, there are two guaranteed cautions in the race right now in the stage breaks. So should NASCAR modify the stage racing format to eliminate those cautions, still award the points, but eliminate the caution period during stage racing? Okay. Is that on our board, Mike? It is. It didn't have a. It didn't have a note that y'all had covered it in our previous show. That's why I'm bringing it up now. But if you did cover it, I'd be glad to move along to something else. Okay, um, Jay, what are your thoughts? Jay, are you still here? Okay, he may have the mute button on. Do you have the mute button on, Jay? Or did I drop? 
Well, I still hear you, so uh, you're still on the on the show. I haven't heard anything from Jay. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what happened to Jay. We're not hearing him. Uh, so I guess I'll go ahead and say my thoughts about it. Um, I do think I, I don't think the stage racing needs to be tweaked necessarily. I, I know that the proposal is that they get points for the stages, but they take no break. Uh, there's usually a stage break in between uh, the stages that allows the drivers to go in, uh, make some tweaks to their car, and then go back out to start the next stage. Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about this too much uh, to really have an opinion on it. Um, but I know that that is one of the proposals, uh, and this is just one of the people on Twitter that have put this out there uh, as an idea of doing it according to the running order at the end of the stage, but continuing right on into the next stage without taking a break. I don't know how I don't know. He said that if they do it in IMSA and the NAEC points, um, I don't know that I've seen it to really know that uh, what of a, what kind of an impact that would have. Um, I'd really like to hear from you and Jay before I make a statement on it because uh, I, I just don't know enough about it to make a statement at this point. So, Mike, or let me check first and see if Jay's back in here. Jay, are you here? I'm not hearing him. Let me see. Okay, his call dropped. I assume he's going to call back in. So, Mike. Why don't you go ahead and uh, say what your thoughts are about it? Sure. Yeah, this is a really complex issue. Uh, remember, stage racing as a whole came about in the late 2010s kind of as a response to fan complaints about monotonous racing, long green flag runs, burning off laps, really inconsequential portions of the race. You know, you got a 400-mile race, and realistically, guys were just racing with the intention of keeping their car in good condition for the last 20% of the race. Well, you know, whether that's the last 10 laps, 20 laps, depends on the, the length of the track. But that last 10 to 20% of the race was where all the action was. And NASCAR's intention was to inject uh, an, an incentive for guys to race harder because there was something they were racing for in the middle portion of that race. So they, they, they brought out stage racing, divided the race roughly into thirds. I know stage three tends to skew a little bit longer, but roughly into thirds. And then, importantly, they made it so drivers are racing for points during those stage breaks in there. And the other reason that they brought that in with the caution was remember the experiment with the caution clock in the truck series, and the intention there was, again, to break up those long green flag runs that could get a little monotonous. So they brought in the stage caution as well to go with those stage break where they're awarding points. And doing away with that caution is, well, that's, that's eliminating another caution from the race. So the pendulum could swing back the other way where fans are going to start complaining about long green flag runs again with no interruption and the field getting spread out. I, I don't know. 
what I do know is there are definitely some room for improvement in, uh, especially in the road course races or the longer tracks, the two and a half miles, Daytona, Talladega, and Pocono, where it takes a long time to complete one lap. Where the perfect storm really is on this is when there's a crash or some other incident with two or three laps to go in the stage. That, I think, is some grounds for improvement right there. Kind of like what NASCAR does when they say there's going to be a competition caution at lap 25. If somebody crashes at lap 21, we're good. This is going to be the, co- the, the competition caution. I think doing something like that for a stage break may be a way to benefit right now. Because what happens every once in a while is somebody will crash two or three laps prior to the end of the stage, and then they'll obviously throw the yellow to take care of the incident on the track, but the track will be ready to go back green, but now we've reached the lap limit for the stage, so now they have to reset the pit cycle and all that, so they're adding two, three, four laps worth of caution to the incident caution that has now bled over into the stage caution, and that can quickly become a 15- to 20-minute ordeal for somebody sitting there trying to watch it on TV. So I think that's where some areas for improvement can come in. I don't know that they necessarily need to do away with the caution entirely and keep running green all the way through, but I think at stage stage breaks as well as during incident cautions, they really should be looking for ways to get some efficiency back and shorten up these caution periods where it doesn't feel like you're just watching the car circle the track at pace car speed for a large portion of the race. And I know we've discussed that on shows in the the fairly recent past. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that, Sharon, if if you have an idea on how they can shorten the caution period. Well, Jay, as you can imagine, we're on our second round right now. We missed you on the first round, so you get to do your first and second round in this in this segment here. <laughs> well, and, and I don't know if it was just because Mike was here or he said he was going to bring up a topic that I wanted to talk about, but my phone just went into shock. It completely locked up. I couldn't even reset it to call back in, so uh, oh my. I'm not sure which that it, it reacted to, but uh, this is an interesting topic. I know when they came with the stage racing and the initial part of that under the cautions was the television break and the opportunity to talk to drivers during the race. We've seen that. You'll see the Fox broadcast or NBC broadcast dial up a driver and talk to them during that. So I don't think that you want to take that away. Uh, Mike hit on a couple of things there. It was a balance. Fans, some fans, we're saying that you know, you see a, a long green flag, green flag runs that get strung out. I don't necessarily like to see, and, and I know some people want to make every caution about it, um, a manufactured caution or restart. And, and I think Tommy talked about that last week. I don't necessarily like this, but this is, isn't during the race that they're doing this. This is predetermined, so it doesn't matter who's leading, who's cycled through pit stops. It's already preset. I'm okay with that. Uh, I think Mike did hit on it with the, and again, I'm not a big uh, diving into trying to run NASCAR for him, but there have been a couple of situations where I would have to agree, maybe the caution went a little longer than it needed to, or at least seems like it. And I know specifically the, and I can't remember uh, who brought it up on Twitter with this, the road course is not needing them because of the length of the track and how long it takes to do even one lap under caution. The problem there is you can't diminish a stage break and win um, 
on a road course than any other track, especially since we now have seven road courses on the circuit. So you can't just take away the stage breaks during road courses. So uh, I think they're in a good balance. I think where the key, like Mike said, is to figure out how under the caution you can minimize the number of laps uh, that they're under caution, um, as that seems to be now what the fans are not particularly happy with. But if it were second round, I would say this. It doesn't matter what you do. There's going to be a portion of fans who are going to find somebody else, uh, something else to complain about, such as the broadcasters and how long their ties are. <laughs> oh, Jay, you're funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, don't, just from my perspective, okay, and just a general sense and a feel for it, I don't think the issue is really the stage break. I think the issue is more when there's a crash that they have to tend to or something else. It just seems like it takes extraordinarily long uh, in order to address the issue on the track and get it taken care of so that the guys can get back to racing. Now, the good news is this. I, I did read on social media that in a recent interview with Scott Miller, the vice president of the competition, uh, he said that, they are very much aware of the uh, extra time that they're taking for cautions, and they are looking into what they can do to make those faster. So that's the good news. Just like the fans are seeing it, NASCAR is seeing it too, and they are looking at ways that they can streamline those caution periods. Um, for me, I think the stage breaks are good, uh, because it does give them a chance to go into pit. Uh, and uh, we've seen some drivers use the strategy of short pitting so that they can stay out on the track uh, for the restart. And restarts are where a lot of the action happens on the track, especially when there's such long green flag se- se- uh, periods in some of the races. So I don't really know that it is the stage break that is the problem. I think it has more to do with when there's an incident on the track and they've got cleanup to do. Um, But maybe I'm wrong. That's just a general feeling and sense that I have. Uh, I don't have any stats or anything to back that up. Um, But uh, I I am thrilled that NASCAR is aware of it and that they are looking into it. So uh, maybe not right away. I think they want to get some data first and then work with that data before they come up with the ideas on what they can do to make it better. So, Mike, you get the final word on that. Well, Jay's going to need to hold on to his phone because it might go into shock again because I'm about to agree with him, which is kind of the trend for this year, which is concerning <laughs> in and of itself. What's but up with uh, that? Jay brought up a really good point. Yeah, consistency is key here. You can't just say, well, at road courses, we're going to conduct the race a certain way, and then at the speedways, we're going to conduct them a different way, and then all the short tracks, well, this doesn't take anywhere near as long to run as many laps at the short track, so we're going to run a short track race completely different. You can't do that. You have to have consistency, at least to the maximum extent possible. I understand there's some differences in how the different tracks, especially road courses, integrate with the rest of the rule set. But to the maximum extent possible, you have to have consistency in the way the races are built and the way that the the officiating is conducted there. So 
I agree with Jay in that they can't just make a special rule set for the road courses because either the track is so long or the lap count is so short. Uh, both of those factors are somewhat unique to the road course races, but we're still talking about races in the NASCAR Cup Series as well as the lower tier series that are there on many of these weekends as well. So you've got to have a consistent product, and simply changing the way the race is formatted at a road course I don't think is the right answer there. What is the right answer? I don't know. I hope that they can find something in their data gathering process that they're doing right now that can point at some quantifiable changes. I think a good one to look at, for example, would be to go to the quickie yellow rule for every single caution. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, that means uh, at race control's discretion, they can say a yellow is going to be, quote, a quickie yellow. And a quickie yellow is a uh, an opportunity for all the cars at once to come onto pit road versus a traditional, normal, non-quickie yellow where the lead lap cars pit on the first lap that the pit road is open and then the lap down cars pit on the second lap by. So basically it eliminates at least one lap under yellow uh, by going to the quickie yellow rules. Not a huge deal at a half-mile short track, but at a place like Circuit of the Americas or even Daytona, Talladega, place like that where it takes a minute or more to go one lap around the, uh, the course at caution speed, that can set a substantial amount of time shaved off there. So I think there's definitely some efficiencies that can be gained, and I really hope NASCAR is able to find some and apply them, if not this season, at least in future seasons, to help the racists uh, have a little bit more consistency and a steady pace of action throughout. Uh, Jay, I'll allow you to have a uh, follow-up on that, because I know I've got a follow-up. <laughs> we'll give Mike one more follow-up. Well, and, and there again, that isn't isn't necessarily about the length of the track. I mean, that's how it plays out. But the issue is is the amount of space on pit road. If you do the quickie yellow where you allow both la uh, lead lap cars as well as lap down cars, is normally through attrition or cars going lap down, that frees up some space on pit road between your lead lap cars. So when you have the entire field pit at the same time, as the the lead la or the front running cars come in and are exiting, you have guys that are still coming in to go into their pit stop, and that's where you have some of the issue. So, uh, you know, the quick thought that that is a good possibility, but it also then creates some issues on pit road. So they got to be careful about that. Um, but I do think there are some things that could be looked at uh, of that or possibly even – lead lap cars coming onto pit road. If you're a lap down, you got to stop prior to pit road. Once the lead lap cars come, the, lead, the cars a lap down are sitting there waiting and can come on, you know, in the order they were in. Um, so that's a possibility uh, if you wanted to have that of, of them stopping and waiting rather than circling, uh, especially Mike's right on a road course or your bigger tracks, because then to come around that whole nother lap does take them out of time. So, there are some things that can be looked at, and I'm sure NASCAR, uh, like you, you mentioned, Sharon, is looking at it. It doesn't want to do a knee-jerk knee reaction and, and put something in play that isn't going to be the best option in long-term solution. So I'd rather wait and, and really come up with, a, with some good plans um, to implement before they do anything. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Jay, exactly what I was thinking. There's a reason why they do the pit stops that way. And it's because having 40 cars on pit road at the same time is just 
it, it doesn't work. <laughs> You've got cars uh, uh, not able to get into their pit spots, and it, it just it became it, – it's very congested and makes it very difficult for the drivers. Not to mention the safety of the pit crew. So, um, and, and even with it as it is now, we sometimes see that. And, uh, uh, you know, multiply that with 40 cars on pit road at the same time. And it, I think it just uh, is exponential uh, opportunity for somebody to get hurt on pit road. So I, I don't know that having all 40 cars get at the same time is going to be the right answer. Uh the only way that might work is if you can line up the pit boxes according to how they're going to come down pit road. Well, that's not going to happen. So um, I just think it's probably best uh, to do, keep doing it the way that they're doing it. But, I, again, I'm glad that NASCAR is looking at it, and I think that they will come up with some really good ideas uh, to uh, help alleviate the problem. Hopefully it won't be ideas that make another problem, uh, but uh, I, I am glad that they're looking at it. And I agree with Jay, too. Um, uh, I think uh, I'm going to trust NASCAR uh, that they're going to come up with uh, the best solution based on the information that they have at their fingertips. So, Mike, your final thoughts, and then we'll move on. Yeah. I think this uh... – this really wasn't a huge problem until we started going to some of these longer road courses that have a slower pace car speed combined with a much longer track length. I think that has really highlighted some inefficiencies and some time that is lost in terms of uh, dragging out the, uh, the race itself. And that was really kind of painful at a few spots at the various races this past weekend at Coda. So I agree with you. I really hope that NASCAR is able to find somewhere, if not the quick yellow, somewhere where they can gain some efficiency, even if it's just light a fire under the AMR safety crews, light a fire under their butts to get out there and get the track cleaned up and ready to go a little bit quicker. I don't know, but I really hope that there's something that can be done to get some efficiency back uh, with our caution process and avoid having – it really takes the momentum out of the race sometimes. So really getting rid of that momentum-breaking caution I think would be a great improvement to the racing product as a whole. Uh, I think we all agree with that. Okay, Jay, you get the next stop topic. Well, we're going to go with uh, – it's a continuation from uh, – Previous one, the penalty for Brad uh, Roush Fenway Keselowski racing uh, on the number six of Brad Keselowski, and this goes back even to Daytona. Uh, they have received another penalty. It's a hefty one, and they have appealed it, but they already partially served it this past weekend, which I found kind of odd. Okay, but served it in what way, Jay? Their crew chief, uh, was, the crew chief was, that was ejected was not there this weekend, but yet they were still appealing, which would prevent that. Uh, but I, I, to my understanding, if they do enforce the four races, he has already served one of them. Okay, got it. Okay, Mike? Yeah, kind of to provide a little bit more background on this, uh, we've already covered at length that the fact that the, the penalty, the L2 penalty that RFK Racing received with the sixth car for modifying body panels, allegedly modifying body panels prior to the Atlanta race. And like Jay said, the, the reason that they're somewhat honoring the penalty so far, even though it's under appeal, 
is with it being as long of a suspension as it is, get some of those out of the way now. And, and I guess you could say a less consequential portion of the season. Now they are going to hear the penalty or the, the appeal to the penalty on April 7th. And this isn't NASCAR that hears these appeals. If you're not familiar, the way this process goes is there's a national motorsports appeals panel that hears appeals from all the top level motorsports. So IndyCar, uh, IMSA, I'm not sure every single circuit or series that they cover, but it's not just NASCAR who's looking into whether they were correct in, in giving a penalty in the first place. The intention here is to have a fair, uh, dispassionate third party look at the rules specifically and what the team is alleged to have done, whether the rules were applied correctly and fairly. So we've seen in the past where penalties either get completely upheld, yes, NASCAR was correct in determining that teams broke the rules, and that they were correct in the penalty that they assessed to them. Or they can say that the NASCAR was incorrect in saying that the team broke the rule and the teams did not break the rules. Therefore, the penalty is completely voided. There was no foul, no foul there. Or there can be some gray area in between where the, the board finds, yes, the team did break the rules. However, the penalty is excessive. I'm not sure how this is going to go, but I would be really, really surprised if RFK wins this appeal. Realistically, what they're going to have to do to win the appeal is they're going to probably have to prove that the parts that they received from the manufacturer were indeed installed on the car as they received it. If they can't prove that, well, they've just violated the rule that NASCAR has said since before the Daytona 500 where you must run these Gen 7 parts as you receive them from the manufacturer. You cannot modify these parts. You can't tamper with them. And at least according to NASCAR's accusation, RFK Racing did modify and tamper with the body panels on their Gen 7 car, which is against the rule. So the next part of that, if it's determined that RFK did indeed intentionally tamper with these panels in violation of the rules, is the penalty commensurate with the – J.D., understand what the word commensurate is, or I need to get the dictionary out. Anyway, uh, is the penalty commensurate with the, uh, with the violation of the rule? And in this case, NASCAR could have but didn't have applied the more stringent L3 penalty structure, which would specifically exclude the sixth car from the playoffs, as well as even higher fines, higher points penalties. So I think NASCAR is in a pretty strong position here that if the appeal board rules that RFK Racing did violate the rules, I think NASCAR can say that the penalty that they applied is appropriate and in line with the penalty schedule. It's not unfair. It's not unprecedented. It's not like the teams weren't warned about it. So I think RFK Racing is in a very bad position here unless they can prove that they didn't tamper with these panels. Yeah, and let's just be clear. It's alleged to be panels. We don't know what part that was tampered with. Uh, there's 30-some parts that teams are given uh, that are spec parts uh, by a specified vendor, and those parts are given to the teams to be used on there. And NASCAR has a strict, no-nonsense rule that none of those parts can be tampered with uh, and when they're used on the car. Now, again, just to be clear, when they use one of those 30 parts on their car, it's up to the teams to make sure that that part 
is not damaged in some way before it goes on to the into the car. So um, that's their responsibility. Uh, and NASCAR has made all of that clear to these teams. The other thing is you mentioned there's an L3 penalty. Well, there's in the L2 penalty, there's a range of penalties that can be given. If you go down the uh, line with those penalties, NASCAR went to the low to the middle part of that range of the penalties that they assessed. Uh, and that's why I think RFK Racing is going to have a really hard time uh, getting this appealed uh, unless there's some extenuating type of circumstance uh, because NASCAR did not go overboard based on the L2 penalties. They gave those penalties out on the lower to mid-range. They could have made the penalty even stiffer than what it was, and they did not. So um, I, I really think that uh, uh, RFK is going to have to come up with something pretty pretty convincing and pretty extraordinary in order for them to win this appeal. And I think that's the reason why they went ahead and had their crew chief not be at the race this weekend, uh, because I think they know that uh, that they, they probably aren't going to win the appeal. So, or maybe at least have doubts about it. So we're at that point of the show where I need to make an announcement to our first-time listeners, uh, and that is that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 uh, p.m. Eastern Time. Now, that means we're probably going to hear us mid-sentence because we're going to continue our conversation um, uh, beyond that 10.30 time frame, and that means that we're also going to record that part of our conversation to be part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. Now, what I do is I go out on Twitter to let everybody know when the podcast is available, and that's when we get finished with our conversation here. Uh, at that point, you can go to our player at com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. Again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard or by surprise and not know how to hear the rest of that conversation, which is why we take time out at this time every night uh, that we, we have a live broadcast just to let our first-time listeners know. So uh, with that, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I knew that uh, this had happened somewhere in, in our chat board, uh, looking at over our discussion on there. And uh, this is where it was, Mike. We had a pre-agreement uh, on what we thought was going to happen and why it was happening. It feels to me like yeah, that RFK Racing is in a position with the penalty the way it is. And Sharon mentioned it. It is not even the most stringent. It wasn't an L3. And even under the L2, it was mid-range at best. So I think, though, with the hole it put them in, the risk of doing the appeal, uh, the cost of it, and the risk of even appealing it and losing it versus what it could mean for their entire season uh, was kind of worth it, you know. And, and I get the feeling, Sharon kind of said it, I think that they really do have their doubts or don't feel it uh, very heavily in their favor 
you know, when we saw the Daytona one, they immediately came out and said, hey, we did it with a purpose. We did it. We did it with a purpose. It was for safety. You know, we're all we're going to be all right when it comes comes out in the wash. We haven't heard anything from that on this one. It's just we are going to appeal. Uh, we haven't heard what it was they modified or why or, you know, any kind of justification to it. Um, and they already did. And it might have been that maybe it is one of the longer distance races. It saves them some money um, as far as the crew chief being there. Don't know what the whole thought process is, but it kind of le- lends itself towards that. Yeah, we don't think we have a real shot at it, but we're going to take the risk, appeal it, because it is such a detriment to our season. Uh, we mentioned that he was 30-something in points. Technically, he isn't even eligible for the playoffs at this point because he is outside the top 30. Even if he wins a race, we've seen we've already got six different winners in the first six races. We saw it come real close last year. Michael McDowell won Daytona 500. When it came down to it, he was very close to having that win, but still not being one of the 16 to get into the playoffs. So uh, that risk is maybe worth it just to see if maybe they can't even lessen the penalty, uh, if that's the case. We've seen that happen on occasion. Um, I don't see it in this case. And the only other thing that bothers me, and I'll throw this out there before uh, we go to the second round here, is the information. Sharon mentioned it. We don't even know exactly what panel it was whether they put it on there and it, that's how it came, whether they modified it, why they, there's been zero inform, true information released about it, um, just a lot of actual speculation or hearsay. Okay, Mike, do you follow up? This probably, even if the penalty is upheld, this won't absolutely end the six-car season. They're mathematically still in the, in, in the championship hunt. They... Brad Keselowski is entirely capable of winning a race. Based on the speed that they've shown this year, I would say the six car is capable of winning a race. If they get into the playoffs via Brad Keselowski winning a race, because with minus 100 points, he almost certainly isn't going to point his way in at this point. Uh, But if he does end up winning a race and gets into the playoffs, he also has a negative 10-point playoff point differential. Now, that will come down to negative five points, assuming he wins one race because he gets five points for the playoff points. So winning a race, he will start the playoffs at no less than negative five points to the rest of the field uh, starting the playoffs. He can then win his way to the next round, to the next round, to the next round, and win the championship. With all that said, I can't help but feel like Brad Keselowski and the number six team, their season rests on the appeal of this penalty and if they're successful or not. We saw two years ago with Ryan Blaney where that team was penalized just for a ballast weight that was left in the car, allegedly unintentionally. And for whatever reason, that just completely derailed whatever momentum that team had. I'm not saying that the penalty being upheld on RFK and the number six team will completely derail them, but we've seen it in the past, and it wouldn't surprise me if it happened again. So if you're Brad Keselowski, who, like Jay said, has been surprisingly tight-lipped about this after Daytona, where they were very quick to come out and say, oh, no, it's, it's not a big deal. It sounds like Brad is aware that this is indeed a big deal, and he doesn't want to say anything that might incriminate himself. I don't know. But... I agree. The silence is kind of deafening on this deal. So we've got a couple weeks to wait. April 7th is when they're hearing this thing. But 
they seem to be fairly quick with coming to decisions after those hearing dates. So probably sometime in the next couple days after the 7th, probably no later than the 10th or so, we should know one way or the other whether RFK Racing is uh, has officially been burned by the hot stove or if they just got their finger really close and managed to snatch it away in time. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking that it's going to be a, a, a real dream for RFK Racing. And here's the reason why. NASCAR, uh, Scott Miller, again in an interview, said this is about changing the culture and the mindset of teams and the drivers uh, about what they can do with the great areas of NASCAR. And that it's their intention with these heavy penalties is to change that mindset and thinking within the garage. So uh, I don't think they're going to uh, – and, and as I mentioned before, they went to the lower side of the range, to the mid part of that range, and didn't even give – they could have made it much more stiff than what they did. I don't think – I think with that in mind, I think it's going to be really tough for an appeal to happen unless somebody's not aware of what NASCAR's intentions are with these stiffer penalties. Uh, and I don't know how they could be not aware because they've made it really, really clear. We knew somebody was going to test the water. Somebody has tested the water. But it's like we said uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about this. First time's an accident. Uh, second time's coincidence. If, if they get caught with another penalty, it's going to be what kills the momentum. Because I agree with you guys, and it's a bad habit. <laughs> that I agree with you guys. He's right now still in a situation where he can get a win and still make it into the playoffs. Keeping in mind that if there are 16 different winners this season and he's not in that top 16, then he could have a win and not get in. So for Brad Keselowski, I think he's going to need multiple wins in order to get in uh, this season. Uh, I might be proven wrong on that, but just based on what we're seeing so far, I'm guessing uh, that he's going to need multiple wins if he's going to get in. Is Brad Keselowski capable of multiple wins? He certainly is. But they're going to have to do it on the up and up and not be testing the waters with these penalties because if he gets hit with another penalty, it's going to be the deal breaker for uh, Brad Keselowski in that number 16 uh, at Rush Fenway Racing. So uh, I, 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 I still think it's going to be a tough, uh, tough penalty to uh, change at this point, given that NASCAR is trying to change the culture within the garage. Jay? Well, I'm glad you hit on it, and I had put it up in the chat there. You know, that team is treading on that with their second second time. You know, Daytona, they said it was safety. NASCAR must have agreed because they let it go, but the situation was still there. This is the second time already this season that they've been involved in at least the discussion of. So we're somewhere between that accident and 
coincidence of what's becoming a trend. And I don't want to see that. And NASCAR doesn't either. They want to shut it down, shut it down early, and shut it down hard. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it is not the full extent even of the L2 penalty. Um, so it's not like they're looking to take somebody out of the playoffs, especially a team such as RFK, that they know can be a top contending team. Um, the other thing, like I said, just the, the fact that there is no – no word from either side about exactly what it is. And I kind of have mixed feelings on this. I, and I know, Mike, you're one that has said this in the past. You want transparency. Say what the, what the issue is, what they did. I don't always agree with that because sometimes it's a matter of you put it out there, hey, they were messing in this area. Uh, we think about the windshields when that got talked about a few years back. Well, then mm-hmm. once they talk about it, other teams go, hey, that gives us an idea or another way to go about it. So I think that's maybe why NASCAR's side doesn't say what, what's being messed with because they don't want to give any other teams that thought process, even put it in their head. Um, but on the other hand, I understand the fans and, and people that do say, hey, we want to know exactly what this is about because we're not getting in information. There's a tough balance there, I think. Um, overall, I, I think they're just in for a tough hill to climb. Uh, we mentioned we know they are capable of it. It may take, like Sharon said, two wins. Uh, certainly, if they do get into the playoffs, they better be absolutely on top of their game when they get there. As Mike pointed out, it would take the two wins to clear out that deficit and just to, to start at zero with everybody else, let alone the bonus points other teams may have uh, accumulated. So I, that's where I feel. I think it is just a matter of they're looking at it, the risk of making the appeal, even if they know they did wrong, 100% wrong, make the appeal, see what they can get reduced or taken away uh, because they know if not, they are in a deep hole. It goes back to something Mike said earlier earlier in the year when the penalty report first came out. They put them in a hole, they got to dig themselves out. You know, it hasn't as of yet taken them out of the season, uh, the eligibility for the championship, but they're going to have to work their tails off to get back in it. Yes, indeed. Mike, let's uh, choose another topic to go with. All right. Well, this one isn't so much a specific topic, but it's something I'd love to hear your opinions on. We are now six weeks into the season. We have seen at least one example of all the different types of tracks. We've seen super speedways. We've seen short tracks. We've seen a road course. We've seen some intermediates. Um, Hot takes. What do we think of the Gen 7 car? Has NASCAR delivered on what they said it was going to do? What do we think they can do to improve the product going forward? With the car, specifically? Yeah, I mean, NASCAR, they, they made a lot of, uh, of claims about the differences that the, this car was going to have and how it was going to change the racing. I've definitely seen some differences myself. I know Andy and I have discussed it a lot in the, the race state chat, but I'm interested to hear what your opinions are on it. Okay, Jay. Yeah, it's a, it's a situation where um, I think it's a combination of things. Overall, I would have to give the car itself uh, the thumbs up. There are a couple of, of things I still don't like or that could be improved on. Um, the leveling the playing field, at least initially to start with, it's certainly there. We've seen some other teams that have been competitive um, that we haven't necessarily seen in the past. 
I think eventually we are going to see the top teams right now. I know it seems like Toyota, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing especially, as the majority of the Toyota teams are connected to, maybe struggling with it a little bit. Um, but we've seen that in the past, a few years back with when the new Camaro came out, HMS is the one that struggled with it, and look at where they're at now. So we're still going to see that cream rise to the top. We talked about HMS. Three of the four drivers have wins. Chase Elliott does not. However, he's leading the points. Uh, and we talked about his stat line on the season. Anybody, uh, a lot of teams would be more than willing to take that stat line. So right now, I like the mix. When it comes to the new winners, I don't know if we can completely put that on the new car. Um, I'm sure that plays into it. But Tyler Reddick, we saw that. We thought he might possibly get a win last year. Rookie uh, Austin Sindrick won the Daytona 500. We saw him run really good in last year's Daytona race. Penske has always provided good super speedway racing machines. So uh, part of it does. Now teams like uh, Corey LaJoy, uh, to see them up there. We've seen Eric Jones be up there in multiple races. Some of these teams, I think it definitely did help at least elevate up a little bit. But I think eventually as the season goes, we're still going to see HMS, Joe Gibbs Racing, Penske stretch it out and step even further. So the gap has been narrowed. You're never going to take away from the talent. The cream is going to rise to the top. But at least through these first six races, I have loved the fact of the mixture we've seen up front. We have six different winners, three of them being first-time winners. Uh, you know, that's going to come anyway, I think, in the case of uh, Ross Jass, Tyler Reddick being the other one. He hasn't gotten his yet, but we knew that was coming regardless. Okay. I, I, I'm still a jury out, and this is the reason why, because uh, what we've seen so far has been great. I think the car has um, made a difference and brought parity to the sport. Uh, and, and I'm real excited about that. Uh, and I think the potential is certainly there for it to live well beyond. But there's a learning curve that's associated with that new car right now. And everybody's at a different point. You brought up the manufacturer, Toyota. Uh, their learning curve is a little behind where everybody else is right now. We've talked about the new drivers adapting to the new car more quickly than the veteran drivers. We've seen that kind of play out a little bit. We've seen issues with um, the lug nut on the on the wheel, and that's a learning curve. I learned a lot on XM today about what's actually happening with some of these wheels that are coming off the cars, and it really has to do with um, – getting the wheel on the car to begin with uh, and and before they even get to the track. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of pens that have to be clicked or whatever uh, to ensure that that wheel is actually on the car. And if they're not, not following procedure when they put that wheel on the car, then they're going to have an issue when they get to the track, and we've seen that play out. So... Again, that's a learning curve that a lot of these teams are going through with regard to the new car. My thing is, right now we're seeing some great racing. Uh, there's a lot of attrition in some of these races that have made it great and allowed some of these newer, or, or, yeah, newer teams uh, to rise and, and 
become winners um, in some of those races. Now, once we've seen this happen, Chase Elliott's a good example. He's a great uh, road course racer. We've seen him win a lot of road course races. However, everybody's caught up with him now. (laughs) So now that everybody's caught up with him, we're seeing other people challenge for that win and get the win. And, and that's what's going to happen with this car. Once everybody catches up with their learning curve and with everything that's going on with this new car right now, are we still going to see the same parity? Are we still going to see the same kind of racing? We may not see the same kind of attrition that we're seeing now. So I think that that's why the jury's still out for me. I want to see what happens once we get past this learning curve, once the veterans catch up with the new, newer drivers that have adapted to the change uh, a lot more quickly, I want to see what happens. I think it's going to be interesting. So I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Uh, and, Mike, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. i got to say I'm really impressed with the new car. I give it two thumbs up, probably an 8 out of 10. Um, so I've been very impressed with the kind of racing it's produced. I'm not sure if that's because it's new or because some of the changes that they've made or some of the teams improving in the back shop, probably a combination of all of the above. I don't know that I necessarily want to say it's because of the new car that we've seen new winners. I don't think anybody would be shocked to find out that your three new winners so far this year are Austin Sindrick in a Team Penske car, Chase Briscoe, who dominated the Xfinity Series when he ran there and is now running a Stuart Haas car. And then Ross Chastain, I don't think anyone would be surprised to see him win. And just as much, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised when, and I don't mean if, I mean when Tyler Reddick wins one of these things really soon. So I don't know that I want to say that the new car has suddenly brought these guys into contention because I think they already were there. But I do think it probably has made it a little bit easier for the mid-range teams to come up and compete with the top-end teams. I don't think it has benefited the lower-tier teams as much. We still see Spire Motorsports, Rick Ware Racing, those backmarker-type teams. They're still in your bottom 25 or or so below uh, the rest of the field. So I don't know that the new car has really done a whole lot to help those teams, but I do think it has improved those mid-tier teams, Richard Childress Racing, Trackhouse, um, Richard Petty, uh, GMS Motorsports. I think those teams are the ones who have benefited the most from the new car. Things I love about the new car, it is tough. I love it. They can bounce them off the walls. It seems like a, a side-to-side <laughs> contact on the cars or a scrape along the wall that used to almost guarantee a tire rub, it, it's a non-event anymore. It doesn't really cause damage to the cars, and unless the tire itself gets damaged in that contact, it doesn't seem like there's any long-term negative effect to that. That's great. I was, it, it got really annoying when you would see Gen 6 cars just barely touch side to side, and inevitably one of those cars would come out of it with a cut tire, and it would go from great racing because – They're banging doors together. That's that's probably going to be a sign of good racing. But it goes from that to one guy's on pit road losing a lap or two just because they just happen to make a little bit of contact. I'm so glad that that's gone. Um, These cars also seem to be incredibly tough for either a front-end or a rear-end collision. There's been a few times where 
we're, me and Andy are watching the race, and I think it was Eric Jones at Atlanta. We're yeah. both like, I thought he crashed out. And there's Eric Jones there trying to win the race towards the end. So the, the, the fact that, uh, that these cars can take such a beating and still be in contention is phenomenal. I love it. Um, a couple things that I think are room for improvement is durability of the suspension. It seems that the Achilles heel on these cars is the rear toe links. I'm not sure if those could be strengthened or redesigned, but it seems like those are prone to damage. Um, I don't know if they want to. I mean, you can only make the car so indestructible to the point where you almost want it to be able to take some kind of damage because if it doesn't, then the the drivers aren't worried about damaging the car and they're taking risks that are probably too dumb to, uh, to really be worth taking. So the rear toe links are probably something that might need to be looked at. The one thing I really do think needs to be looked at, and NASCAR may have missed the mark on this, is the wheels. I still do not like the single lug wheels. I understand that they use it in IndyCar and in IMSA and in Formula One. I understand that they're, with a certain level of training and repetition, these pit crews will probably get it right. But I don't think that that juice was worth the squeeze. We've seen too many wheels coming off the cars. We've seen the wheels themselves, these cast aluminum wheels, self-destruct. Uh, it seems like when the wheel takes any sort of significant damage, it just completely comes apart. And the fact that there's no inner liner in the tire is another issue that has kind of been on the back burner because we've been on, uh, on some different track types. But it's going to come back to the forefront when we go to a track that it tends to cut tires when you slide. It's going to come right back to the front burner here. And I think the, the, the wheels are probably the biggest area for improvement on the new car. That and move the number back where it's supposed to be. This ridiculous forward number thing has got to go. Okay, Jake. Okay, I was prepared to say it that I agree with everything Mike said except for the number six. I do not particularly like it either. However, I'm not going to tell them they got to move it back. The lug nut issue, I do, and I don't know enough about it with the wider tire and everything that went with the new car, if that was a force change that they had to. I go back to my whole thought was the new car was supposed to more, look more like the street car um, in the design, and yet they went from five lug nuts to one car, or one lug nut, and I don't see a single car out there on the street with one lug nut. But overall, the next-gen car as a whole, Mike hit on it really well. You can hit that car. You can bump with that car, and it not take you out of the race, which I think leads to better racing for multiple reasons. We talked about earlier how many cars you're going to have on pit road. The fact that the, a tire rub or a little bit of fender damage no longer brings you to pit road with a damaged car in your laps. Now, there's more cars on the lead lap. There's more cars that are staying out there longer because they don't have to pit just because of a little bit of, of a fender rub. Um, so that's part of it. Several of these teams Mike mentioned that are, if you want to call the back-tier teams, some races, they know that's their only car, and they got to protect it so they're maybe not out there racing as hard or as competitively as they could be if they knew they had that next car ready to go or could repair this one. And we've seen it with Kyle Busch's car and Kevin Harvick's are the top two that jumped to my head of a practice issue, um, not having to go to go to a backup car 
or being able to take the parts car as it was. Um, they had one for four different teams, and they used the one and get it back on the track and come back and possibly win the race. He still, due to circumstances, didn't win it. But we saw that car immediately out there ready, and I, I don't say immediately, in a shorter amount of time uh, without <laughs> going to the backup car. So that's where, where I think that, that long-term is going to benefit all of the teams. Like I said, once we get to where we have the, and I, I still think I believe the number is seven that they can have in their fleet, um, teams like Rick Ware Racing aren't going to have to worry as much about protecting one car or two cars in, versus in, in the past they have. I, I think that's part of why, like I said, I, I, whether you want to call them starting parks or whatever, um, that for their business and, and their their team to survive, they were kind of in that necessary box. And I think we're seeing them be able to come outside of that box now, get up there and mix it up and race harder than they could before. Not that they want to destroy a car, but they know that they don't have to worry about protecting just their one and only car. Yeah. Okay. Um, gosh, I've got so many things I want to talk about here. Uh, one has to do with the one lug nut. One of the reasons they went to one lug nut instead of five is to shave off time on the pit stop uh, so that the pit, pit stops could be a little bit faster and uh, the teams could get their cars back out on the track more quickly. Uh, they haven't done that yet, I don't think, because, again, we're going through a learning curve. With regard to the rear toe, uh, you got to remember, and the, even the tire. The wider tire was to give more stability to the car on the track. Um, I, I, I don't know about the inner liner. Maybe they need to go back to that. I don't know. But you've got to look at why they're getting some of these flat tires. Some of it has to do with the air pressure and them playing games with the air pressure and going beyond the specified uh, PSI that they've been given by Goodyear. Some of it has to do with the camber. And there was lengthy discussion about the chamber uh, of a lot of these cars. Um, excuse my dog. She sees something on TV, and <laughs> she's going crazy here. Anyway, um, so once these teams, again, go through this culture change where they can't mess around with, with the camber, they can't mess around with the PSI, they can't do the things that are causing some of these flat tires, um, then maybe we won't see so many flat tires. Uh, are there still going to be flat tires? Sure there is. But they can reduce the number of flat tires if they play within the specified specifications that they've been given. Uh, same thing with the camber. The rear toe, again, has to do with the camber. They're playing with the camber on the car, and they're taking it beyond what the limits of the car is. That's why they give them the parameters that they're supposed to play within, and they're not doing that. So, again, we have to go through this learning curve, and once we get through the learning curve and everybody starts playing by the rules, then I think we might see less of the issues that we're seeing now. Um, and, and then we'll see the benefit of having the one lug nut. Um, and and I, I do think that that's going to happen. Uh, I... I agree with Mike that there, I love this new car. I think that there's a lot of good things about it. The first time I saw the new car 
kind of flip, which I wasn't expecting, number one, because this car wasn't supposed to flip, um, is that they've got the bottom completely sealed off of that car, and that's to eliminate uh, teams being side-by-side in the garage. And uh, it also protects all the parts that are in that car, but it prevents these teams from uh, playing the games that they play in the garage trying to figure out what somebody else is doing over somebody else. So I I think the NASCAR's put a lot of thought in this new car, and I think that we're, we're not yet seeing some of those benefits because of the gamesmanship that's happening in the garages. So we just have to give it time, guys, and, and let them let these teams finally figure out that this is a different NASCAR and that the gamesmanship uh, has to be at a minimum uh, when it comes to tampering with the car. So uh, I'm still out to jury, but uh, I do like the new car and everything that I've seen of it from so far. Uh, and... Uh, once we get through the learning curve, I want to see what happens when everybody becomes more proficient with the car. So, Mike? Well, we're at the top of the hour, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, reattacking all this. I'm just going to say regarding the new car, I kind of want one. I, I hope that when the, the part <laughs> supply and everything catches up, I kind of hope that Delara and some of these other manufacturers who are making the – I'm serious about this. I really hope that they sell – the parts to the general public. So a guy like me who is looking to really waste a decent amount of money can go and buy one of these Gen 7 cup cars and I can build into my shop as a personal project that I can then take to the racetrack and do really, really poorly with. Uh, Because it looks like it's super simple to work on. It looks like it's super durable. And in terms of a, a, a premier series race car, It looks like it's pretty cheap, so I kind of want one as my next track car. So maybe hopefully Delara and some other people can hear the the pleas of guys like me and please, please allow me to purchase your Gen 7 NASCAR Cup Series car, please. And I wouldn't even mind if they gave us a single lug nut. Well, they can't all be. Okay. (laughs) We can't all be what? I said all those parts, they can't all be winners. I mean, maybe I have to stick with a single lug. I don't know. But, you know, the chassis and everything else, I'm, I'm a buyer. I'm in. Okay, gotcha. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. Sure, it's Mike underscore O on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, I'm working next week. I should be back the week after. But big news, I'm going to Talladega. And I am less than a month out from that, and I can't wait. That is the most magical place on earth. Forget the place in the middle of Florida. No one goes there anymore. The happiest place on earth is Talladega Super Speedway, and I'm going to be there the weekend (laughs) of the 24th and the 25th, and I can't wait. All right. Uh, Jay. Well, Mike, uh, I know you're talking about this, this car being a little more – less destructible that doesn't mean the wall you run into is is still as indestructible so keep that in mind when you're talking about that i knew uh, you were going to pour that salt back in that wound again <laughs> uh, got to got to uh you can follow me on facebook michael hoosman mopar mj8 on twitter and instagram uh unfortunately i, I hate to have to say it but 
tires have become an issue, so the sprint car race we had for this weekend at Jackson Motor Speedway has been rescheduled for July 9th. Uh, so I'm going to have to find something else to do for this weekend, but uh, I'm sure I'll get into something. <laughs> okay. Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforracing.com. And uh, we have all of our radio shows there as well as uh, the recaps of all of the races uh, over the weekend and uh, any other things that kind of pop up from our fan for racing crew. So uh, big thanks to our listeners for tuning in and to our um, uh, fan for racing crew for being here and being a part of our fan for racing radio. I have some good news to announce real quick. Uh, We are now going to be on Amazon music. Our podcast is available at Amazon music. If you uh, happen to be, a subscriber to that, you can listen to our podcast there now as well. And it's just a matter of time before we will also be on audible.com and the podcasts that are available there. So uh, I'm real happy about that. And uh, they reached out to us. Uh, I went ahead and submitted our our, uh, show and they accepted. So pretty cool. Uh, So with that, I'm I'm really excited about that. So with that, guys, uh, I'm really looking forward to the weekend of racing out at Richmond Raceway. And, uh, oh, uh, talking about our guests coming up, uh, we still are waiting a response for our 9 o'clock guest. Uh, I can't really tell you who that guest is, so I can't tell you who the guests are for next week. I thought I could, but uh, we'll certainly let you know on Monday who our guests are for this coming Monday. So uh, with that, guys, we'll look forward to talking to you on the other side. Good night, everybody. Have a good weekend. Good night, everybody. Enjoy your race weekend. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.